This podcast is going to take you on a journey. It's going to provide you with some learnings and it's going to join some dots that previously haven't been joined. The true history of this planet and what has gone on before the rise of the Industrial Empire and therefore the Western Civilization and the narrative that has been pushed with it is coming to light. And I mean truly coming to light. This week I introduce you to Colin Hayter, who's been on a bit of a journey himself. At 62, he spent the last seven years in deep learning, trying to understand hieroglyphs, ideograms, and he was drawn to the Gosford glyphs. And his interpretation is very interesting. It provides us with another perspective. And the connection we made here in the refinery was something that I truly treasure, and I look forward to sitting down with him again for him to share more of his stories. However, his stories come through a tribal line. He's an uncle of the Southern United Tribes, and they are banding together to try and work together so we can bring this information into the light and reclaim the stories that were lost. I'm going to leave it there. The name of this one is the Bambara Incident, and all I'll give you before you start this one is the Bambara Forest is where the Gosford Glyphs are located. I'm going to go with Bathe in the Sun for the opener here. Because it's a homegrown Aussie song. It's got a hell of a beat. And I'm not too sure what we'll finish with. However, enjoy Rowdy. Enjoy this conversation. Look forward to the next one. Remember, unlocking the code, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Give me a follow, give me a like. If you can review, that'd be awesome because it just helps the algorithm. And with some of the information we're learning here at Unlocking the Code lately, we need to bump that up. So please, let your friends know. Share it if you enjoy it. Comments, emails, unlockingthecode9 at gmail.com. Really appreciative of the time you take to listen to this podcast. We're taking it to the next level. Thanks very much. Be kind, be cool, stay safe. Remember, team people, we're all in this big blue ball together. And we'll talk soon. Cheers. Thank you.
G'day everyone, welcome back. It's my great pleasure to introduce Colin Hayter, is it? That's how I present your last name, mate? Mm-hmm. Colin Hayter to the podcast this evening. How are you, bud? I'm very well. Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, thanks again for your interest in my work. And uh, thank you very much for making this opportunity for me to be able to share today. Mate, it's it's my pleasure. And Wonderful. Yeah, we... we the the beauties of social media, Colin. This is how we got in touch with each other. I think mm-hmm. you saw some of my Gosford glyph posts and bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, we've had a bit of a chat before we turn the mics on. However, where would you like to start, mate? You keep talking about the Bambara incident, and yes. I and I and I told you not to tell me until we put the mics on. <laughs> so okay. You, what I'd like to um, share with you is really a great amount of things, but uh, it all starts at Bambara. It all comes from Bambara. And uh, so I'd like to explain first what Bambara is. Yes. And uh, so many of us have heard um, also of the term the Gosford Glyphs. Yes. Of course, there is no glyphs in Gosford. I've never found any. Um, and uh, so what really, what really is, is this, that a site exists in a place called Cadillong, which is yeah. Central Coast. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and uh, importantly, it's upon Garingi lands. Garingi. Yeah, Garingi. Yeah. And uh, Garingi is G-A-R-I-N-G-A-I, Garingi. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I-A, was it? Um, so once again, uh, we'll be talking some of uh, the, the Bambara. So the Bambara is the most sacred place for um, traditional Australians here on the east coast of Australia. For all tribes, not just the Garingi. Okay. So the, the sacred Bambara forest exists on Garingi lands. But what's different about it was through the millenniums, the Bambara was held open for all to use. Okay. Which is very unusual. You know, if, mm. you, if you were to walk on Gomeroy lands and think you might go hunting there or something, well, you'd get speared before you made it too far up the road. Yeah, absolutely. You need and, to, uh, in the past, you'd have to send an envoy in to get approval to even pass through the lands or do trading or anything else like that. Your bull roarer would do the job. Yeah. Waving the bull roarer in the air, sticking to the paths that were the paths between lands. Agreed paths. And yeah. uh, then they know you're coming, you know. And, uh, but, uh, well, you'd even do that still entering the Bambara, by the way. However, the thing was, once again, that the Bambara was held open. It was a learning, sharing place. So to understand it, let's go back, way back. Way yeah. back. Way, way back, yeah, before the time of man. Yeah, so man didn't even exist yet before um, uh, the, the stories of Bambara have already begun. So what it was is that place there, Something special there happens twice each year. On the summer solstice and on the winter solstice, uh, the first direct moving, westerly moving rays of the sun land smack into that district there. Uh, when the earth spins, it doesn't just spin sideways, it's actually tilted up yeah, it's somewhat. it's tilted a bit, yep. You know, 22.3 degrees yep. approximately. Yep. And it's actually spinning up, you know. So as the earth spins around, uh, when we look at the Earth and the Sun belly to belly, so two balls, like two belly buttons looking at each other, yep. that very closest point um, is uh, lands right there in the district around Bambara. And uh, so what it is, is that's the closest um, moving westerly rays of the Sun mm. making landfall on Earth. So what happened there was this, that there's this one place there called Lion Island. Have you familiar with Lion Island? No, I, I want you to assume 
I just want you to tell your story. So okay. I, so yeah. there's an island exists just offshore. Just happens to be shaped like a large lion sitting there in the bay. You know. Yes. Uh, its real name is uh, 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 Muli Mulla, a mm. beautiful mother mm-hmm. in lingo from that district there. Uh, so today and it's it, missing uh, its head, isn't it? The the lion island. Yeah. Uh, well, it doesn't have a head. Yeah. No, no. But nonetheless, it's still got a bulbous shape where a head goes. You Absolutely. Know? It's yeah. very easy to imagine a sphinx sitting there. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, so Muli Mulla, once again, was its uh, traditional name. So before the cycle of man, uh, what was important about uh, the island was this, that on its uh, very top, uh, so its most highest easterly point on mm-hmm. the island grows a large tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still there today, and uh, that'll come up in the story later, but nonetheless grows a large tree on the most easterly point. So what happened there was every morning as the sun's rays come over the horizon, the first thing they hit are the highest branches in that tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from there what would happen would be that the rays, the energy of the sun, the life-giving energy of the sun, so, mm-hmm. and agreeing with science, science mm-hmm. tells us where life came from was the energy of the sun mm. so in that very place uh, the life-giving energy of the sun hits into the highest branches from there goes down into the tree down into its mighty trunk mm-hmm. and then down through its roots deep into earth mm-hmm. and so the life-giving energy of the sun coming over the horizon goes through the tree through the trunk and into earth mm-hmm. And gives birth to earth mm-hmm. every single day. Yep. Newer life. Newer the life. Unk, you the know, unk, yeah. Newer life. And uh, so importantly, earth, the life of earth, you know, its own its own uh, life, is born through mother, mm. as you and I are. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and through father, in the way the father is a, the creator mm-hmm. in that uh, life-giving energy, which is the sun. Mm-hmm. So once again, this is before the cycle of man. Mm. Uh, one would wonder how can men know a story of before the cycle of man? But in cultural terms, you know, a thing can be explained in the way that uh, it, we've heard of the terms a clever one, mm. a magi, and so on. And mm. for each tribe is a different name for that fellow. So yep. we'll use that open clause of the clever one, you know. Yep. So a, a magi or clever one had the ability or does have the ability. They still exist today. Absolutely. Um, uh, to do many things. But one of their things was that they could climb a, an invisible tree uh, into the sky and sit alongside the Creator and share with those great nature spirits up there. Mm. So it's from there man brought the knowledge that he could see before the time of man. Mm. And uh, that time, Thoth talks of it well in the way that he says, uh, uh, before ye were men and we were gods. Yes. This time, you know, so going right back to Earth when it was just a uh, a ball, a lifeless ball, you know. Mm. So once again, this is uh, the beginning of the Bambara in the way that uh, it, it it's not uh, just important to humans and man, but to the Earth mm. in the way that that's where the mother gives birth to newer life every single day. And it's interesting as well, you talk about the, uh, the summer and the winter solstice alignments, Colin. Mm. Yes. Every megalithic site on the planet yes. honours the summer and the winter solstice. And they still work. Yeah, absolutely. Like to this a Swiss day. clock. Yeah, to this day. Uh, yeah. So there goes the theories of uh, you know, Earth turning upside down in the last several thousand years and so on. Yes. None of those yes. things would work if That's they right. did. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so um, 
so that's the beginning of the Bambara. Uh, so other things that's important about it are uh, the creation stories on the East Coast start very near there. Mm. So just a little bit further north, I'm going to say a little bit, I'm only talking 30 kilometres north, mm-hmm. and then a little bit off to, to the west, comes up Mount Yango. Yes. And uh, so at Mount Yango can be found there, the oldest creation stories uh, from uh, traditional Australia, carved into the rock floor mm. at a point that's called uh, Devil's Rock today. Devil's Rock, okay. And um, and so there exists this, is a set of carvings that are so old and it's hard to date carvings. You Absolutely. Know, um, it's almost impossible, really. Yeah. You know. the mo- the, the, and that's the issue we have over <laughs> this stuff. Dating stone is a very difficult... Very difficult, yeah. yeah. It can be done under um, unique circumstances. Yes. Uh, but certainly not in environments which change greatly with uh, you know, a, a big difference between summer to winter and, yes. and all this sort of thing. You know? yeah. um, but anyway, but they're uh, ancient carvings. Mm. And uh, so they tell of... Uh, once again, the creation story. Mm. So it goes like this. What we see there is a triangle carved into the ground mm. and a number of figures around the triangle. Mm. And it tells this story. And what it is, it's uh, the story of uh, first of man. Mm. So we, we could say Adam and Eve, if you like. You know? and, uh, but importantly, it's not the story of their creation. It's the story of their awakening. Okay. And that's different, you know, when people talk about creation stories mm. of, you know, man evolved in this country or that country or mm. so on. Mm. Australian culture doesn't say it that way in the creation stories. They talk of where man woke up. Mm. So what happened there was uh, that uh, Bayami, the energy of the sun, mm-hmm. uh, so that's just the spirit of the sun itself. Yes. And so the spirit, the living spirit of the sun came to earth in that place. And there he woke up two men. Mm. So one is called Darulaman, mm-hmm. and uh, and the other carries no name, and uh, so he's known as the son of light. So two twins or two brothers, but uh, uh, we we see them as twins. You could say Cain and Abel. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. And uh, so what Bayami did was uh, was that he came there and uh, and he gave them his knowledge. He woke them up and gave them his knowledge. So it said that the son, by the way holds all the knowledge of the universe. Everything that ever happened, every mathematical equation that ever was, the memories of that are held in the sun mm. and come to us in the sun's rays. And we, we, we often hear of like the Egyptians, you know, uh, honouring the sun in that way, that they got knowledge of it. Mm. Well, certainly, you know, traditional Australia does, you know. Mm. Uh, so in that place, once again, Mount Yango, just a little bit north of uh, Bambara, uh, Bayami came, woke the first of man up and uh but what he did was he gave them a, both them brothers a wooded leg and what it was that's a, a piece of dura so keep in mind his name's dura malan mm. dura so what dura is in uh, in traditional tongue is that you could pick up a, a piece of dirt that's dura mm. a stick off a tree that's dura mm. a rock the earth is dura mm-hmm. so when he woke up um original man he gave them a piece of dura, mm. a stick. But importantly was the stick was from a branch from Tullamarie on the island, mm. mother. And this is now their attachment to mother. Yes. And uh, what happened was um, uh, then he brought woman. But he brought woman from the stars, already evolved. Mm. 
mm. and uh, and didn't need to be given his knowledge either. And they already had it apparently. <laughs> you know? And uh, so now there was Durumalan uh, and his wife um, um, uh, Numbadi. That's her name. Yes. And the son of light. And uh, one day the son of light uh, disappeared. And uh, Durumalan and Numbadi were quite concerned. Where's he gone? Now, where's brother? Mm. So they followed his footprints until they eventually caught up. And eventually when they did catch up to him, they said, come home, brother. Where are you going? And he said, I've got to leave. You know, he said, you, you stay with uh, Numbadi, you know. And, and he said, but I have to go. I'm going back to mother. So he'd remembered where it was that he came from mm. or where life came from. And... Um, but along the way, he was off to fight a mighty battle. Mm. And you'd wonder, like, who's he going to battle? These are the first two men to wake up, you know, like mm. who's to argue with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but his battle was that he was – that knowledge that Bayami had put into them, uh, on his journey now, he was going to uh, put that into all men. So all men already existed, unlike the Adam and Eve stories, which mm. is like two like that, you mm. know. They already existed. And, uh, but the thing was they didn't have that knowledge. Mm. So his battle was to bring light over dark. And uh, uh, nature was more chaotic than it is today. Mm. Uh, you know, where the birds drop seeds and so you know, plants from other regions come in and pollute the place. Mm. Today we see us doing that in dumping rubbish and things. Yes. You know? And uh, a creek might drop a, uh, you know, a tree into it and it would block the creek and flood the place and now an ecology down the way is finished for yep. some species of animal, you know. Yep. So nature was pretty chaotic. Also a lot more predator, uh, larger predators back then as well. Well, I guess so, yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, so in this um, uh, shining light, you know, for all to be able to see in the dark and uh, also his thing was he was going to capture chaos, and put it into his dilly bag that he carries with him. And with the that, hand, that, is that... Is that the handbag that's represented in every is. single carving Very much so. around and around the world and the oldest examples are found here in Australia? Yep. Mm, yes. Anyway, yep. That's exactly right. And um, so uh, the, the bag, um, what, he was, what he intended was to uh, capture this chaos and take it to the south where there he would bury it and keep his foot on it, his strong foot, which is the leg gifted by, by army yes. in the tree, his stick. <coughs> and um, so once again, this is a story told there at Yango of, um, of uh, the first of man. But what happens next is his footprints are actually carved now, forming a massive triangle that go all the way from Yango, heading southwest. And they can be found all the way along the way until they get to the foot of the Blue Mountains. Mm. From there, they go east to the coast and they pop up in North Sydney. From there, they keep heading north again now, going back. And now it's heading northwest. And in all, it forms a huge triangle, very similar to the triangle first carved there, which is only a couple of meters big mm -hmm. at Yango. They're carved into the ground over that distance of around 60 kilometres plus. And, but importantly, what is, is about those footprints is that they're not a footprint like you and I might make. They're a stick because, of course, he's, he's wooded Wooden leg. leg. Yeah. And, uh, but on these toes around it, uh, what we see is this, that uh, when we come across a group of those footprints, there might be three footprints, and the toes are, are different numbers around the foot. Uh, some will have one foot might have four, another one two, and another one three. It's a written language, 
Ah. It's called Mari Gwelda, which is a numeric, so talking in numbers, numbers yeah. a numeric ideogram structure of text. Right. And uh, which is a text which is done in dots, slashes, yes. squares, yes. Uh, circles. Yep. And uh, so the story of First Man is told, carved in the land in that whole journey that he walked. And uh, so when uh, it eventually gets back to uh, going northwest, it finishes there at Bambara. And uh, so very much near where the Egyptian glyphs are there is the traditional site of um, the Bulgari um, traditional glyphs. And there we see, by Ar- well, people think it's Bayami, but it's actually the Sun of Light. And uh, But we see the Sun of Light there holding his foot down on what people think is a whale, but it's not a whale, of course, it's, it's his bag. It's you know? his bag. Yeah. And, uh, and this is where he took the chaos and he buried it there, you know. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's the longest, the oldest written story on so the planet. You, so just just to clarify, we can you've you've found and seen some of these groups of footprints that yes. create this story. Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. So part of my job as an uncle um, on uh, uh, serving on a a, um, a traditional panel. Mm. So I'm an uncle of the Mirabuka. So the Mirabuka is a panel working out from the United Sovereign Nations of mm-hmm. Australia. Yep. And uh, my position there amongst my elders is that uh, I'm given the blessings and special permissions to enter country and reconnect those near lost passed on stories. Mm-hmm. So that story I just told you then, mm-hmm. the creation story has been remembered always, you know, it was never lost. But those footprints, as if we take that travel now as for first man yeah. that works his way around, that was actually lost, you know, that was uh, was. Near, near totally forgotten, and yet they survived. There's motorways and factories and housing estates, and somehow those footprints, you know, in a great part of the area survived to, to this very day. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, I hate to think what was lost. Yeah, yeah that's it must the question. Been, must have been a great deal. Hmm. And um, so, uh, um, so again, yeah, this is leading us to Bambara. Yes, you know? absolutely, yeah. And uh, so Bambara itself is actually a triangle. Um, today we just see a small section of forest of about, I think it's 300 hectares or something like that. Yeah. But uh, originally the, the Garingi lands was that triangle mm-hmm. and it works out it's uh, 23 kilometres on either side, so working its way around 69 kilometres total on three sides. And, um, and that was the Bambara. Right. You know, previously, nowadays, it's uh, unfortunately uh, you know, South Cosford, um, Carry On, and, a and you know, estate, all, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I mean, industrial. The, the, and there's, there, there's now a house practically backing on to Carry On now, isn't there? There is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's another one coming. Yeah. Uh, so, um, other things that make uh, the Bambara important. It was I mentioned it was a sharing place, a learning place, mm. a, heal, a healing place too. And I think just to uh, um, just to expand on that, and mm. just so people who because we got a lot of international listeners, we do. So in indigenous yeah. culture, there was men's places, there was women's places, mm-hmm. there was tribal places. Yeah. But around at special spots around Australia, there is what you're saying here: sharing places. Yep. Some of them were. Uh, billabongs or waterholes. Some mm-hmm. of them were um, communal hunting grounds at times. Not not very very rare that one actually. However, there's multiple places where sharing can happen, but they're few and far between, aren't they, mate? That's not. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. some of them yeah. hold more importance than the other. 
uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of my friends who are initiated men, mm-hmm. yeah, they can't even talk on a site of, of women's business. Absolutely. Never mind, not even go there, mm-hmm. which is sad. Be, uh, in a way, it's sad to any because of the the days we live in today. Mm-hmm. Many sites under threat can't be defended by that man. Yes. He can't even argue the point. Yes. And yet he holds the knowledge, you know. Yeah. And uh, so this is often where. Uh, there needs to be an evolution of the thought process at times, mate. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I completely understand, respect, and 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 honour the, the the traditional ways and, mm. and how it was seen. Yeah. However, there's an evolution from my perception that needs to happen in order to be able to band together. And, well, yeah. And work together. Yeah, that, that's a. Uh, it's hard to imagine. Uh, you know, changing anything as deep as that, you know, and that—that's the thing, and, isn't it? Yeah. But fortunately, this happens today. You know, um, you know, we can all—not all, but you know—many of us can be initiated, but in a different way. Mm. You know? Our own life experiences and knowledge, um, should you want, of the journey is an initiation in itself. Absolutely. You know? And uh, so, someone of that value, you know, can talk for that man on yeah. that woman's site to that woman. Yeah. The go-between. Yeah, that never happened before. You know, mm. but now we 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 can have that, and that's actually happening now. You know, uh, many the, places uh, I deal with. That's uh, the spirit of Wirajin. Is that is that as well? You know, working together. Um. Well, I guess so. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I guess so. Um. So yeah. Again, about the Bambara, the uh, what? Why? You know, it's so important. Is uh, at the end of the day, that was the initiation place. Okay. For many tribes, okay. not just for the Garingi. So tribes out west of places like Cairns and Townsville will tell you this same story I'm going to tell you now. Mm-hmm. So what would happen when it was time for a young man to become a, or a boy to become a man? Mm-hmm. And that could be between the ages of 14 to 18, depending yep. on where they were coming from. You know. And uh, what would happen would be that uh, that young man would uh, go on a journey with an older man like myself. Mm-hmm. So still fit enough to hunt and uh, and defend if he had to, you know. Mm-hmm. But all the while he'd be teaching that boy, mm-hmm. and so they'd be walking. That's a very long way from Cairns to the Central Coast, you know, in New South Wales. Yeah. But along the journey, there'd be many places to go to, mm-hmm. including the um, the stone circles at uh, Mullumbimby. Yes. Places like this. Yeah. Uh, and uh, where there'd be a lot of learning that the boy would be given along his journey. Mm-hmm. So uh, along the way that the older man's teaching him to be able to hunt, to navigate, uh, knowledge, you know, um, cultural knowledge, spiritual mm-hmm. knowledge, all, all these things, you know. So the older man was called a nana, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the boy was seen as he's not actually born yet. He won't be born until that moment he becomes a man. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, he's seen as a fetus, and he exists in the womb of the old man, of the nana. Okay. And uh, these are deep cultural things, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely. Makes your eyebrows go up. No, know? no, no. It's it's. Um, I, I, you, you're giving me more detail to a story that I was already familiar with. Right. My understanding was is that they would have a, a children's name. Is that correct? And then they would transition. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the transition at the moment. Look, During that transition, at the end of the journey, yeah. They would, and then they would have their man, their their name of their the yeah. man that they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, so once again, yeah, along that journey, that the boy's growing all that time inside mm. the womb of the elder, mm-hmm. and uh, so eventually they arrive at Bambara. Mm-hmm. So what we see today still existing at Bambara. So and so when I say Bambara, I'm not talking about the little forest. I'm talking mm. about 
Bateman's Bay around that area because it was bigger before. Yes. You know, it's only today we see that little forest, you know. Mm. So, But all around the Bambara, the bay, are the initiation sites for a number of tribes, mm. not just for the Garingi. And um, so what would happen would be where they would arrive at their initiation site for that particular mob that's travelled that long way. Would they have separate um, sites within the Bambara? Separate, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, separate. All looking out towards the sea. Yeah, all facing... Towards this, the island, yeah. Malimala, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what would happen there would be um, now the boy's got all his knowledge. Uh, on uh, initiation day was the last week of December. Okay. Summer solstice coming yep. up, you know. Yeah. So what would happen on that day would be the boy would get his last informations and then as the sun came over the horizon on that day when the sun appears to stop in the sky for a few moments mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's that moment where it's the closest point on earth to sun mm-hmm. where the where the sun's rays hit land, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would happen there would be just before um, the, the daylight robbed the night view of the sky, the last three stars coming over the horizons and taking you back now 5,000 years mm-hmm. when things started to change as Earth's natural tilt, you know, has changed our view in the sky. Mm. But always had been for a long time was coming over the horizon was um, the last three stars visible before we lost the night view. Mm-hmm. They were the Orion. So they called them the three wise men. Right. So what was about to happen was this man's about to become a boy. That boy is about to become a man. man. Yep. He's going to be born now because he's not seen as born before. Mm. And born uh, in those, born the three wise men looking over him, and born from the light that comes over yeah. the horizon. But important thing about a traditional man when he's an initiated, you know, mm. he's a king. I mean, a king. He's mm. a king of his own head. There is nobody higher than he mm-hmm. regarding his own sovereignty, his own business, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he is a king, you know. And uh, so a king is about to be born. But importantly is his mother is Marie, the tree. Mm. So the, the tree on Malimala, so mm. the, Malimala is the island, beautiful mother. Mm. But the tree of life on Lion Island is called Tula Marie. Mm-hmm. And that Tula Marie. So Marie is the great spirit of uh, um, sustenance, if we like, you know, the great spirit of this land. Mm. So she is the the soil, uh, the water moving under the soil, mm-hmm. under our feet. You know, the, the wind that brings the seasons, and uh, and uh, and that, so the, all those uh, things that are sustenance mm. needed for life to exist. Mm. So you can create life, but you've got to have the sustenance for it to be consistent. You know, mm. so mother does that. You know. So the great spirit of uh, of the land mm-hmm. um, throughout uh, many of the different language speakers around Australia mm-hmm. is Muri, M-U-R-E-E, Muri. Yes. But the important thing is she's a virgin because you can't have sex with the with the soil. So it, sorry, yeah. would you just say Mary? <laughs> well, let's see. Yeah. And uh, so uh, so here we are, you know, on uh, around the 23rd of December, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that week of, uh, of summer solace, the, the sun stops in the sky on that day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and here's a boy now about to be born a king, witnessed by the three wise men that follow <laughs> the great star in the east, which is the sun <laughs> coming over the horizon. And his mother is Marie, yeah. you know, a virgin. So you can see where that's coming uh, yes. or going. Yes. You know? So yes. that story is so old, mm. you know. 
that it it predates the the current tilt of Earth, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. in the way that now when uh, uh, the Orion come over the horizon, it's probably about now. And when we would see it in the dark, it's already well above our head, you know. Yeah, at the moment, if we're, yeah, in, in a couple of hours, it's going to be there. Already well advanced, yeah, 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 yeah. compared to at dawn back yeah. then, you know. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so uh, you can see how now Bambara is so important, you know, mm-hmm. where it gives birth to Earth each day mm. and the sun's energy coming through. Mm-hmm. And it was that very place where man was first awakened and uh, captured the chaos, and man now started to control nature. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know our traditional custodians were experts at controlling nature. You know? Absolutely. And uh, they you uh, never hear they perfected a, you, it. You never hear of a, a major fire in the Northern Territory, Colin. <laughs> no, you don't, do you? No, no you don't. No. Why is that, mate? Why is that? Because they're still in control of the land. Up well, there. I'd like to think so. Yeah, 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 yeah I'd yeah. like to think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, uh, many years up there, you always knew. Different times, like there'd just be a yeah. fire. There'd be a fire a couple of times a year in different spots. Yes. And that is them renewing the, you know, renewing the land and yeah. making sure the brush is clear and making sure the animals get fed and all these things. This all feeds into this yes. cycle and understanding the land. Mm, that's right, yeah. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, on the East Coast, all those things are lost. Yes. You know? Yeah, we, uh, we put it... We have that I, chaos again now. Yeah. I, uh, I drove... I told you before, I'd spent a lot of time on the road. I was driving to the north side all the way over to um, past Launton uh, to work from here. And I literally watched them put a fence around a national park to keep us out. Oh, wow. Like there would have been millions of dollars in this chain link fence, proper concrete posts, 10 foot high. Conserving the environment, Colin, is what yeah. they called it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as long as it keeps the industry out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want to be a big fence, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the the the, the 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 fence was an industry in itself, mate. That's the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. can't, we can't, we can't go into the land and honour it and actually use it. No. Yeah. yeah. It's it's hard though because obviously in these days, as you say, embracing the chaos now that you know they, they <coughs> we don't look after it. Like we should. No, that's right, yeah. And uh, the Bambara probably um, cop more damage than, than most places, you know, mm. uh, yeah, in, in cutting the serpent, serpent's head off, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's how colon, colonisation works, you know, mm-hmm. cut the serpent's head off, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, once again, getting back to the Bambara, so you can see, you know, giving birth to um, Earth each day, you know, she's uh, certainly the mother for Earth. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the creation stories of... Um, you know, evolved from there. And then once again, right through the millenniums, you know, this was the important um, place for initiation. Mm. And uh, But uh, the Bambara, t- too, uh, is uh, a birthing place okay. and uh, a healing place. Okay. Uh, and uh, so let's jump now a little bit into the future, you know, closer to our time, you know. And uh, so what what's happened there, you know, closer to our time was that... Uh, uh, in India, uh, and uh, which is greatly Indonesia as well, you know, mm. Jakarta, mm. Um, all those places, not just India itself, but the old India, uh, around 5,000 years ago back then, they were still young enough within their evolution to remember their beginnings place. Mm. And they uh, around 5,000 years ago, now they started to write for the first time mm. and they started to record these things. And... Uh, 
So in their earliest um, texts, they talk about the beginnings place and where it was. And talking about it in the way that it's at that place where the first light hits Earth as it comes through each day. Yeah. Uh, and in the south, you know. And uh, so the, the many island. cultures, many cultures speak of this, and this is they do. Yeah, this is you know, and, and this is one of the things we've already spoken about in here, Colin, and, and you're just providing us with uh, very interesting detail, such a brilliantly told as well, is that it was an initiation place for the original people here, mm. but it was also an initiation place for many others. It as was, well. yeah, certainly was. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's what's coming to light, mm. and uh, and no more greatly than those of India. Uh, and uh, so, when I say those of India, uh, greatly I talk of the Tamil Indian. Uh, you know, the, the Tamil uh, recorded their um, informations very well, but it's not only them. It's uh, the Tamil five thousand years ago were seen um, in the south of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also about midwest of India, and they also uh, show indicators of appearing alongside Indus Valley. And oh, Indus yes. Valley is a real mystery. You know? It seems like they just disappear. Yeah, you know? yeah. Indus Valley is on the, the 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 pictures from there are unbelievable. It looks they like are. they just they just up and left basically. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, mm. I'm sure they didn't. I'm sure many stayed, but there was no doubt about it. There was mm. certainly an exodus that you know, mm. took place. Mm. And uh, so what what it was was that. Um, in the year uh, 3142 BC, on a Tuesday afternoon at half past one, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking you about that. Yeah. It was midnight. It was about midnight. <laughs> right, no. It was really a Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what happened for those was that um, the Indians were great travellers, especially the Tamil. You know, they were the first seafarers, you know, and uh, they travelled uh, the known world. Um, and today people look at them and go, well, how did they do that? They didn't have a keel. You know, and yeah. like, how do you cross a sea current here yeah, without a keel? You know, well, the thing was, and they told it well that they followed the migrating turtles in the currents, and this was their way of getting around. You know, so it looks like uh, they'd been getting around uh, for as long as the waters started to put the lands further and further apart. You know, right? And uh, so it wasn't just one day they set out to sea, uh, they experience and their technology evolved over those thousands of years we, as the waters came about. We must mention, if we're talking about India, we can't not, and we're talking about technology, we can't not talk about the temples made from single pieces oh, of stone. Wow. They're incredible, We can't yeah. talk, not talk. Have you seen the... It, and see, for me, they're unbelievable. Many people haven't seen them, you know. I know. It, yeah, it's it's no. an unknown thing. The it's, water wells in the ground that are as big as... You know, shopping centres. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and the, and the, have yeah. you seen the chains made from yes, stone? Yeah, how yeah. do you? How can you yeah. even like do that? Do yeah. that. Yeah. You know the yeah. and the and the cogs and the gears. Yeah. It looks like mechanical yeah. objects yeah. there. By the way, know? Indian masons still carve that way. You know, they they, they, yeah, they right. still create like that you know, by hand and everything. Mm. You know, so they haven't got like a lot of tech around them. Mm. The bloke sitting there with chisels and his carvings, tools, and so mm. on. Yeah, they still do that today. Mm, but it's just Incredible. amazing. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, the world missed out there. We were never told that. Mm. In my British education, they never mentioned anything about the greatness of old India. You know? mm. Never, you know. But anyway, so it seems that the Indians, uh, they, they, when they first started to write, they were still in that time frame that they could remember their earliest origins and made note of it. But what happened for them was in the year 3142 BC, so 5,163 years ago. On a Tuesday. 
<laughs> on a midnight. Yeah. And uh, what happened was that uh, the, the natural earth shift, they noticed that something in the sky changed. And what it was, was in those years, there was a North Polar Star and a South Polar Star. Mm -hmm. The South Polar Star they called Apis, mm -hmm. and the, the North Polar Star was, um, I think, Tutmore, something like that. It said mm -hmm. Thutmore, Tutmore. And, uh, but they noticed that they'd moved off their, off their um, access point, yes. that, you know, Earth's axis. Because, yeah, Sirius is the North Star now, isn't it? But it wasn't always. It, every... uh, it's not Sirius, no. Oh, uh, no. I'm trying to remember what the North Star is. Yeah, I'm going to let you guess. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> it's not serious. No, it's not serious. No, it's not serious. No, no, uh, no oh, it's gone. It's gone. I'm not. I'm not even going to try and guess. Okay. Well, we're still back five thousand years ago, anyway. Yeah. And uh, so then it was um, was two different stars, but important was that they they use that for navigation. Mm. Yeah. And that the Tamil, especially, you know, uh, in the ocean sea voyages, you know, as well as following the turtle, they were using the the stars for navigation. And so to them it was important um, that now they couldn't. They wouldn't be able to use them. As they moved, now the maps aren't going to work. So they were going to be cut off from Mother, Tullamarie, mm. and, uh, or the island. So they called the island Kumari, and that was their name. Ku means south, mm -hmm. and Mari is again Mari, you know, the great goddess they call yeah, her. Yeah. So it's basically the goddess in the south. They were going to be cut off. Hang on a second. I can't. I can't let that slip. So you're saying in India, Mari is also a goddess. Yes. Yes. And then we have Mary, and mm. we have Mari mm. as in indigenous. Yes. Mm. The echoes. The yep. echoes. Well, same all the way around the world. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. The modern version that you and I were more familiar with some years ago, Mary and Jesus. Yes. That's the most modern one. Yes. That's that's basically recently. <laughs> compared to these others, you know? yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, importantly for the um, for the Indians, you know, they were they seen it that they were going to be cut off from mother, which means they were, over time they were going to be cut off from original knowledge. Mm -hmm. The teaching was going to be stopped. So um, that was a big thing to them. So they seen that as an incoming cycle of chaos called the Kali Yuga. And uh, so now the Kali Yuga would begin, and this is when it began on mm. the three one four two BC mm. midnight. <laughs> midnight on Tuesday. Yeah. So they, um, yeah, they, they weren't going to allow that to happen easily. You know, they were a, a brilliant, brilliant people, and uh, so they wanted a solution. So they made one, and their solution was that they came back to Bambara again, mm. and from there they took the chief of the day. So the chief of the day, he comes to us through Garingi passed down stories now. Mm -hmm. So his name was a man called Chief Manet. He also had a name he was given on his initiation from there at Lion Island. That name I can't share with you. Okay. Because that name, when it was written, that was what you were talking about before when you get your initiation name. And it was written on a stone which comes from the island. Mm. But you can't show that to anybody. No, you know? it's your name, yeah, your yeah. true name. Yeah. yeah, and that's between you and, and the creator, you mm. know. No one knows that. But I, I know Manet's name, but obviously, of course, I can't say that. So we'll go with Manet, and that's what they call him in, in Garingi law, you know. And uh, so uh, what happened was the Indians came here, and uh, they took Manet. So Manet wasn't just uh, a chief. He was a Magi chief. Mm. Not all chiefs are Magis and, and, and vice versa, yeah. Mm. And uh, so what he was famous for here in Australia through Garingi law was there at Bambara, he brought heaven down to earth. And what it was, was he created there using his magi another dimension. 
a dimension there where our ancestors can live amongst us, rubbing shoulders with us. And uh, so what he did was he carved into the ground all around Bambara the image of the sky above. So when we're visiting near the glyphs and so on, we often see these round circles and they're carved everywhere all about. Yeah. And it's a night view. So he brought heaven down to earth. Yeah, it's a star map, yeah. Mm. I've seen that, yes. Yeah, he yeah. brought heaven down to earth to um, to create a place for the ancestors to live here. Mm. So now Bambara, it's it's gone from being the you know the, the place where earth is reborn every day and a place where people initiated and all these things that uh, <coughs> now it's heaven as well, uh, mm. heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Yeah, so you see how big it is, Bambara. Before I arrived, you knew nothing of Bambara, did you? <laughs> I, you I knew about the glyphs. I the knew glyphs, about the yeah. star map. That's I all knew people about, know, yeah. I, know, I knew about the grandmother yeah. tree there. I knew, yes, I knew, yeah. I knew. Yeah. As I say, you're filling you're filling gaps yeah. in in my knowledge. Yeah. You know, I'm very very thank you very much for sharing this story, man. It's oh, great pleasure. That tree, by the way, that's a seed from the one on the island. Right. Yeah, it's okay. one of hers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I have one of those seeds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, right. And I'll plant that one day. You know. Yeah. And, um, and so on it goes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so um, where was I at with it? <laughs> We're talking about. Uh, Mulan bringing the... Oh, the, the Indians. Yeah. Yes, yes, right, yeah. So they came here to Chief Monet. And what it was, was they were going to go out into the world and teach man out there the knowledge to survive the timeline of chaos, mm. the Kali Yuga. Which we're, we're approaching the end of, hopefully. But we've been there we're, for a while. We're there. Mm. We're there, yeah. Um, and uh, the Kali Yuga actually lasts a couple hundred thousand years. But there's, but there's a... There's a um, a bit of a twist to the story, you know? okay, and uh, a clause in the contract, I say, <laughs> you know, and uh, so uh, anyway, so they took Manet out with them, and so Manet is carrying original knowledge, you know, yep, and uh, and for the Indian, of course, they're carrying uh, building knowledge, those buildings mm -hmm. we were talking about, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but by the way, Manet just didn't have um, like tribal knowledge, you know, there was, there is no better teachers of how to handle the country than culture. We yes, all know that. You know? Absolutely. And, uh, and the, so sort of my interpretation of it is, you know, when you talk about, you know, we, we talk about indigenous DNA being found in South America. We talk about <laughs> yes, it, it spreading across the globe. <coughs> yes. However, my understanding, you know, is that they came here to learn how to handle the land. And that's why, because we had a, a lengthy discussion about spirituality in here. And basically the fact that spirituality is the same across the globe. Mm. And I think the reason it's the same is because it came from one knowledge. Mm -hmm. They obviously took it back to their respective lands and used the knowledge and adapted it for their uh, yeah. environment. Well, this is where it's coming from. Exactly. And this from is this day, from that day, 3142 BC. Yeah. And uh, so the Tamil took uh, Manet and... Uh, and whoever else went with them, so I'm suspecting the Indus Valley peoples, you know, they too are in this deal, you know. Okay. And uh, so in Indian law, we see them as um, the avatars now, the avatars of Vishnu. Mm. So you see them climbing into a boat uh, to sail through the chaos mm -hmm. and uh, the, uh, the churning milky waters, they call them. Mm. <clears throat> and they were expecting a big flood in all this chaos you know, mm. this is where the flood comes from because we know the great religious flood of the bible never never happened you know there's no scientific evidence that in that time frame that ever was an actual flood you would have, but is you see my uh 
perception of that is wouldn't you, you know, the cataclysm that happened 12,800 years ago when the sea level rose 400 feet practically mm. overnight, mm. Well, wouldn't that be the flood that we speak of? No. No, they're talking from a time 5,000 years ago. Mm. Yeah, and in that time, there's never been a flood. No, that never happened. But is, is that not, is, is them, is not the, the constant flood myth an echo of a memory from that time? No, they're pretty precise about it, talking about that event mm. at that time. So the way it's written in oldest India's text mm. is they say, and they're talking of Kumari or Lion Island, if you like, Tullamari. Mm. And, um, and uh, what, what it is is that they, they said these words, the waters were drawn around her. Mm. That's all they said. They didn't say she sunk. Mm. It's only in our modern day for some reason that, that everybody put that as, oh, it sunk. You know, mm. Atlanta sunk and you know, everything sunk. Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. but it wasn't that at all. It directly says the waters were drawn around. And that is, as we say, the waters rising up some, you know. Mm. And uh, but and other than that, of course, you know, moving off the uh, polar stars, and they couldn't navigate there anymore. Now, if you use those old maps to navigate to Lion Island, you'd end up somewhere between New Zealand and and Victoria. Yeah, right. You know, in the middle of the sea, the, yeah. as if the place sunk. You yeah. know? And and that's what they were getting at. You know, mm. so it was no flood. They, they talked of chaos, uh, but they never actually said that you know, there was a, a worldwide flood. It never happened. Mm. Uh, any exists in modern English. And it's gone on from there into popular belief. Mm. So once again, they took Manet out. And uh, and so today to find evidences of Manet and the Tamil in the land. That, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. yeah. So follow, there's, the sea turtle migration routes has never changed. They're still there today. Mm. And uh, so following those places, uh, it takes us to places like Crete. So we find Manet there too. And there he's called Minos. And, uh, and then we find him in uh, northern India, up the top, and there he's called Manu. Mm. We find him in South America, and there he's called Masur. Mm. And uh, so in all these places, you know, his name only just changed a little bit. But this is what we see now is the start of the pyramid age. We start to see pyramids popping up and buildings all over the place, you know. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, so once again, this was their solution to the, to the timeline of the Kali Yuga mm. to educate man and give him knowledge to survive. Mm. But that wasn't the only thing they wanted to do. What they were going to do was now because man was going to be cut off from original knowledge and home mother in the beginnings place, so they were going to build a place in the north and a copy of it. Mm. And uh, so uh, as well as taking out this teaching, what they did next was they arrived into Egypt Mm-hmm. And there now Egyptian history takes off. Mm. And we let the, the Egyptians themselves tell that. And the way they tell it is that the one called Osiris Manet, it's him again, our chief Manet, mm. he turns up upon their shores. And uh, <coughs> the Egyptians, because they're uh, an old race, you know, mm. there's evidence there 40,000, 50,000 years of yeah, consistent yeah. society. You know? yeah. And uh, so, like Australia, nobody was discovering it. Mm. And, uh, <coughs> but Manet turns up on their shores. And they rush out to fend him off with their spears and uh, and shields. Manet rises his, his arm up in the air and swings a strange stick that makes an ungodly sound. Look, it's his Woomera. Mm, yeah, the Woomera, yeah. Bull Roar, sorry, yeah. he's Bull Roar. Right, and, um, yeah, and he, uh, not his Woomera, that's a weapon. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but he's Bull Roar, yeah. yeah. And scares them all away. 
And which, uh, which, for those that haven't heard that sound, I've had the privilege of that. that that's, <laughs> that's a, it is an unearthly sound. It is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah I certainly heard a lot of it. Mm. And um, so, uh, and but he so he tells them. He says, "Look, I'm not here to fight you. Yeah? He said, "I'm here to teach, you know, to make you and your country the greatest nation, the most powerful nation on all earth." And uh, and they did. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't just that they were teaching there. That's the place where they wanted to copy this house of God, the mm. Creator's house. Mm. And. Uh, so what's become evident was that in Egypt, that's exactly what they did. Mm. That huge triangle that, that, that the Son of Light first walked, that's carved into the land there around Bambara, mm. there they did the same thing there. They call it Giza. Mm. And that, so Giza, when I say that word, you imagine three pyramids standing there in the Sphinx. Look from above now, you know, look down like a Google Earth. Yeah. And it's actually set on a large triangle. Yes. And on one side, each southeast corner of the pyramids, each one touches that 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 uh, that that triangle line. On the other side, it runs through uh, a number of things there. So in Bambara in Australia, we've got this. It's taking you to the glyphs now at Bambara. Mm. And uh, so just up from the glyphs is a tomb. So the glyphs aren't the only thing to be seen at Bambara, by the way. You've got between the walls of glyphs. And just 200 yards up is a tomb, and it's got carvings too. So that tomb we know to be the house of Hanetson. That's the name of the woman that's buried there. So if, if we impose that triangle now onto the ground, mm. where these things lay on that triangle goes like this. At the peak of it is the house of Hanetson where the tomb is in Bambara. Mm. As you work your way down the line, it goes directly between the walls. So those walls are actually on the northwest line. And so this northwest line that's important here uh, starts at the house of Anetson, runs right between the furrow, mm. in a dead line, right between it. Uh, keeps heading then um, southeast. This is a northwest line, so mm. looking backwards yeah, at southeast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there it crosses over uh, the northwest side of Lion Island, touches it, and then heads off some distance down the road and finishes... Um, at the 23 kilometres further down where it started, forming that big triangle. Mm. So in Egypt, they did the same thing. So what they did was, uh, where in their, their triangle, right at its peak, they built there the Temple of Isis. Mm -hmm. And uh, and by the way, the Bambara, the Furrah, that's the Temple of Isis, leg of the bull. That's its real name. Mm -hmm. So in Egypt, they did the same thing. They built the Temple of Isis there. Uh, just uh, in front of it is... Uh, the small pyramid they call the House of Hanetson. And then as you follow their northwest line down, it goes directly over the hindquarters of the Sphinx and then again on into the distance to something else over there. Mm. I keep saying something else over there because there's something I'm not telling you. Okay. <laughs> and, I, I picked that up. <coughs> yeah, off air I'll certainly tell you. <laughs> and uh, But, uh, yeah, there's something else again, you know. Anyway, so what they did was they copied Bambara, mm. exactly, and uh, and and they tell of it, you know. And what they did was they copied it uh, by shrinking it by seven. So to them, it was an important measure called meh measure, M E H meh measure, and uh, and the principle of meh measure was that uh, if you took a number and there was a thousand involved in it, mm. uh, that's the key. Opens the door. There's a thousand involved in that number. Now divide the number by seven, 
and uh, and then create something out of that. Mm. And it's magic, yeah, mere magic. And uh, so what they did once again was the huge triangle that Bambara is on. They shrunk it by seven. That is the, the the town plan of Giza that it's built on. But then the Sphinx, they copied from Lion Island exactly. So the Sphinx is seventy four point four seven. I measured it by the way <laughs> while I was there. Seventy four point four seven meters. But when you uh, times that by seven, it works out to five hundred and twenty three meters, which is Lion Island. It's five hundred and twenty three meters exactly. Mm. Um, across its back, it's um, uh, I hope I get this right. Just saying this off memory, but uh, right, uh, one hundred ninety meters across its width, and uh, divided by seven. Um, so I could be wrong here. I think it's hundred twenty actually. Uh, but divided by seven, it works out at um, 17.6 metres, exactly the width of the Sphinx. The Sphinx is 22 metres um, high. And uh, it's and um, so it is one-seventh of Lion Island of its height, mm. which is uh, 159 metres uh, exactly <laughs> high. So by shrinking its height, its width and its length, they recreated it there in Giza, mm. and uh, and um, again in this me- measure, yeah. mm. and um, so um, the head on it, you know, <laughs> that's another story. Mm. The head came after, mm. so so that f- that first uh, business of creating the image of the home of mother mm. in Egypt was the so- solution to building a house um, of God there in mm. the north, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and of course, you know, copying it from the most sacred place on the planet, you know, from the beginnings place here in Australia. Mm. And um, so, uh, what about the technology, though, mate? I mean, we couldn't recreate some of that stuff today that's in Egypt. Why not? Why, why do you doubt that? Well, being a student or a, a profession of logistics. Re, we oh, look. We probably could recreate the Great Pyramid, mm. but the question would be why, yeah, and how. Yeah, we didn't. We don't have the motivation they had, mm. and uh, their motivation was to make a home for Mother. Mm. And uh, so, so how it all began? What they started with was it was all underground before it ever got over the ground. Absolutely. So they see uh, when I say they, you know, talking of the ancients and talking of our, our brothers from culture today. But the precision of some of that stuff in Egypt. Mm. Is very would be hard to create with today's technology. Stone block was hard about that. It's not about the stone block. It's uh. about the precision inside, like the boxes at Saqqara. Mm. You know, I've you, seen them. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You, it's the it's the the yeah. statues that are mirrored mm. one to the other. Mm. You know, it's almost yeah. the the precision behind that. Yeah, would need our most modern computers today to replicate. We we can do it today. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's hard to know how could they do it, isn't it? You know? Yeah, yeah. But if we can do it today, they're men too. They've got two heads, two arms. I wish they did have two heads, <laughs> uh, two, two arms and two legs and a head. You know, they got exactly everything we got. Mm. And and if you see, you know, like in India today, you know, the, the masons, the way they work with their hands, mm. it'll take all those doubts away for you. You know. Mm. Um, but uh, oh goodness me, you're right, mate. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Again, uh, yeah, so important about Giza was this. 
was that once again they they were making a home there for mother for the creators you know so it's easy for the sun in the way that the sun travels through the sky mm. you know so he could move about but mother uh, both in cultural australia india and egypt they all see mother the same way she travels in the waters moving un- in the soils under our feet so what they did there was they they're trying to get mother there mm. And uh, so the natural aquifers that run under the ground, mm. what they did, that's mother moving along in, the, in those waters. So they blocked them up in places and then uh, made shafts which came up to the surface. So now the water came up onto the surface. Mm. Mother was ar- arrived. Mm. So um, as, once again, you know, there's Ra, the sun, you know, coming in the sky. But now here's mother arriving up from under the soil, mm. moving under our feet. So whilst in Egypt, part of my observations there were to find out where did that water come from, you know. Mm. And uh, so we were able to get down inside the aquifers and see how they were, or down the shafts that appear in Giza, and see how they were blocked up and re-diverted. Mm. And, uh, but then we were able to follow the wear of the water on the ground throughout the Giza complex. And uh, we see... Uh, um, uh, it was uh, John West, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, had the theory yes. of uh, you know rain thirteen thousand years mm. ago and all that sort of thing. You know, mm. well those things didn't exist thirteen thousand years ago. We know that through a lot of things, especially through the relative text that tells about it. You know, mm. when, when they built it. So, absent of the fact that they didn't exist thirteen thousand years ago, it was important to find the evidence on the ground. Where did the water come from? So, working away from the back wall of the Sphinx enclosure. Uh, back up the Giza Plateau, it was obvious, very obvious, um, of fast-moving water had worn away the sides of the Caffrey Causeway. So that's a a large walkway that comes out of the Caffrey Pyramid, which is Mm. in the middle of the three, Mm. goes right beside the Sphinx. So that's how the water got there. It didn't come from the sky at all. It came from the earth. Mm. It was creating a home for Mother right there. And... um, you know, answering a, a lot of uh, mysteries about uh, what it was for, you know, what was their motivation to build Giza in the first place, this copying of Bambara, the house of God, you know. Mm, mm. And uh, so they they didn't just copy the house, they, uh, <laughs> they made it so, you know, that Mother could arrive up onto the surface there. Uh, here, here at Bambara, we see her coming out of the rivers, out of the Hawkesby River and, and the other rivers around that area. Yeah. Coming from the mountains, and mm. you know, the mountains are the... Um, you know, the the, uh, uh, the mountain of uh, Hathor, you know, the, you know is, is considered to be like the mistress of the mountains, you know, and so mm. on. And uh, so, yeah, you know, here, you know, where the water travels uh, coming through the rivers, there, of course, in the desert, it doesn't. You know? mm. and well, let's fast forward, mate. Let's fast mm-hmm. forward. Yeah. Because am I to understand? Speaking to you before we turn the mics on, seven years ago you didn't have mm. the knowledge that you just mm. shared with us now. Yeah. So what happened to <laughs> send you down the rabbit hole? Yes, well, what a story that is, you know. Uh, uh, basically, I, I, I put my hand up. I did. And it went like this, you know, that uh, my family, uh, my kids, you know, your grown kids are your greatest critics and they judge you terribly, you know. And so they seen it that I was getting old. All right. And uh, so here I am, 55, by the way, at that time, you know. And uh, so they seen it like I'm, I'm destined to get Alzheimer's, you know. And uh, so my kids are all quite brilliant and, uh, and they can talk different languages. 
and uh, I've got you know a, a quite a, an extensive general knowledge. And uh, but they wanted me to be able to now talk a, a, a different language, and that would help me in my old age and stave off this. To them, what was obvious, I was obviously getting Alzheimer's. Or right, right. And uh, anyway, so uh, they banded together and they bought me um, a computer. And uh, so using this computer now, I was going to uh, you know, learn a language. Hmm. So, you know, to appease the kids, and plus it seemed like an interesting sort of thing to do, uh, I started to look at languages, you know, and so I looked at uh, Japanese and French, and I had a head start on French, French and German we were taught in school, so yep. it was something I was familiar with, you know. But at the end of the day, it was all Japanese to me, you know. <laughs> you know. And I didn't really have the interest either, you know. And uh, But uh, what happened was I came across uh, just the sort of thing you can Google and you see it on Wiki, and it, it was a, an alphabet of um, hieroglyphs. Yeah. And it was about 22 hieroglyphs on it, you know. And, uh, and it would be things like a foot is the letter B, uh, a wedge-tailed eagle, which is an Australian, by the way. Uh, it's mm -hmm. unique to Australia, that species. But the wedge-tailed eagle in Egyptian was the letter A and so on. And, uh, but alongside this alphabet you know, uh, was their ideogram means. So when we say that an eagle is an A and a foot is a B and so on, mm. that's their alphabetical. Mm. So hieroglyphs have more than one mean to yes, them. Yes, that's right. So yeah. their ideogram value uh, is uh, uh, more of a story behind the symbol. Mm. Uh, so the foot becomes this place. Mm. And, uh, and when we see that foot drawn, it's drawn quite heavily. And if it's carved, it's carved deep. So it's saying this place, meaning it like that. You mm. know? And uh, and uh, the wedge tail eagle becomes the great spirit. So instead of being a letter, it's a story. Mm. So like a a, a telegram. Mm. So uh, the way a telegram is shortened, you know, a long story into it. An ideogram, telegram, same thing, an idea in a gram. Mm. So what I was interested in was these ideograms. I thought, how easy is this? You know, like my mum, when she taught me to read, showed me a bucket and said, bucket. Mm. Pete showed me an apple and said apple. Mm. Yeah. So that's more my cup of tea, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I could see that you know learning alphabetical hieroglyph text is a specialist learning. You know, like you mm. you really do need to go to university to learn that stuff, you know. Mm. And um, or if not university, then you need to be in front of a great master for a very very long time, you know. Mm. And uh, but uh, the ideogram didn't seem so hard. And um, anyway, within days, you know, I'd internalised it enough that now I could look at things and attempt to read but nothing made sense you know mm -hmm. but still the interest had got me and uh, so what happened now was a diversion uh, because now i'm on the internet and this is the first time i'm using facebook you know seriously yeah I, I, I was i sucked at it you know yeah. yeah it was a hard learning curve and that first machine they bought me by the way wasn't an ipad it was a, an actual laptop mm -hmm. But, you know, meaning well, you know, they didn't put a big enough budget into it, you know. <laughs> so, like, any yeah, command took five minutes for it to come forth. Yeah. Well, that's not a good place for a learning curve to exist into, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to learn and so I'm pressing buttons galore and getting nowhere. So and, and Facebook, you know, trying to learn that for the first time on such a device. But in amongst all that, I seen a, a Facebook post and uh, and it's quite a famous one in a way that a lot of people know about this. And what it was, was it was a lady called Susan Rankin, and she's an elder from Victoria. And so here's Susan Rankin talking, and she's effing and swearing, by the way. She's really cranky and pissed off, you know. Yeah. She's saying, 
what's wrong with this world? Why won't one of you men just get up and do something? Are you all lost to the grog and the money? Just do something, one of you. Well, what's going on? She mm. was pleading, you know. Mm. So Susan Rankin and her six uh, lady friends, uh, these aunties, seven of them, they were about to set off on a journey to, to walk from Victoria to Canberra to hand in their uh, modern-day birth certificates, driver's licences and so on. And uh, and they were going to give those in Canberra, they handed to them, you know, a good lecture on why they were doing that, that they mm. were claiming their sovereignty back. So this was them about to start their journey. And here she is making this call out, you know. And now, so at this time, I had no... Um, Indigenous friends mm-hmm. uh, on the Tweed, there aren't that many. Mm-hmm. Uh, so since high school, you know, I'd lost um, you know, contact with those friends that I had, and uh, so we just didn't have any Indigenous friends at all. And I had very little, if I had no no Indigenous knowledge whatsoever, you mm. know. But still, I can't say no to a lady, you know. Mm. And uh, so I stood up, and now this Susan Rankin, she never got to see this because she can't see me on the other side of a Facebook post, you know. Yeah. But I deliberately stood up. I physically stood up. I physically stood up and mm. I put one foot forward and I said, lady, yeah, I'll have a go. I'll do something. Mm. And my thoughts were I was going to go and hug a tree or you know, join some sort of petition, you know, anything. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but the thing was uh, that wasn't to, ever to be, you know. But, I, but the other thing was I stood up, you know, I made a conscious decision I would do something. Well, a very strange thing happened. Um, I'm in that early study of hieroglyphs, you know, mm. and um, and what happened was uh, this one morning um, I woke up, and what it is is at at home we do exactly the same thing every day. Tomorrow morning will be the same, you know. My wife comes to my side, she picks up my hand, and as she does, I, I'm already starting to awake, and I stand, we kiss, and I make a joke. And uh, how I do that at quarter to five in the morning, God knows. Yeah, but somehow, you know, I managed to crack off funny, you know. Yeah. And we have a little giggle, you know, and uh, and then we start our day. But on this day, you know, I sensed my wife coming and she's picked up my hand. And as she picked up my hand, I stood up. And as I went to kiss her, it wasn't my wife. It was a black man standing there. And he was as black. He was so black, he was almost purple. In fact, he was purple a bit, yeah. you know. I'd say yeah. his forehead and cheeks, he had a bit of purple about him, you know. Yeah. He was so black. Uh, he was older than me, uh, at 55 I was then, and uh, he had a thick mop of uh, black curly hair, or wavy hair, not mm. curly, but wavy, but thick, I'll never forget it. Uh, really black uh, pupils, white eyes, but, you know, black back, big black pupils. And uh, like me, he was very veiny, you know, like you know, when I go for to give blood, they love me, and they see me, you know, I'm full of veins. <laughs> and he was like that too, you know. And he's a bit thinner than me, you know. I'm only 72 kilos, yeah, five yeah. foot nine, so I'm pretty skinny, sort of. But uh, uh, I'd like to feel muscly, but, <laughs> but, but but he was like that. He looked like he could outrun an emu, you know, for, yeah, yeah, for his yeah. light build, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and there's this man in, standing right in front of me, and he's pissed off. And uh, so this is a big shock. You know, I went to kiss my wife, and all of a sudden there's a black man in my house. You know? Right. <laughs> and uh, and like I said, I, I'm not used to that then. You know, no. like, you know, nowadays, you know, like my family, you know, or my brothers and sisters for country. But seven years ago, you know, I wasn't used to that. And um, so I was stunned, but at the same time, you know, I don't scare easily. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm looking at him, and he's saying, "Take it, take it." So he's talking English to me. Hmm. And, and he's pointing to the side. And I'm saying, take what? And in my hand, I've got an iPad, this one. 
And so when I open this iPad up, we can see the lid falls down. Mm. That's exactly the scene. I'm holding one of these. And I'd never seen an iPad in my life at that stage. I didn't even know what it was. And uh, it's obvious he's indicating to it, you know, take it, take it. And uh, I said, look, I, I don't know what you mean. And the more I said that, the more cranky he got. But what I'm doing, I'm thinking now, I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I can hear this guy. I can see this guy. There's two sensors going off, you know. Mm. I was also very familiar with the smell of the bush. I'm mm. not. I'm not at home. I'm out somewhere. Yeah, right. And we're in the cave. That's that's the scene I'm seeing. Mm. And uh, so now I can smell as well. Mm. So I grabbed my clothes with my hand and started to feel to see if I can feel. So I'm mm. testing all my senses. Mm. And uh, it wasn't hard to realise. I don't know what's going on, but this is real. Yeah. Whatever this is, you know, it's it, it's real. You know, mm. and there was no way to avoid it. And um, anyway, so I looked to what it is he's pointing at and uh, within this cave and there's a wall directly to my side. And, uh, and as I looked, I just seen chicken scratching. It didn't really make any sense at all. Mm. And again, he's saying, take it, take it. There was an emergency in his voice. Mm. And, uh, and looking at the iPod, I said, I don't know how. And I looked at the wall one more time. And as I did, I looked back, he's gone. And my calf's standing there laughing head off. And uh, so she's thinking this is the funny of oh, the this, day. Oh, this is your joke. This <laughs> <Yeah>. is your <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Kath, where'd he go? And I'm looking under the bed and in the wardrobe and in the bathroom. And in the end, she's got the jack of that. Yeah, she said, "Oh, knock it off, enough's enough." Yeah. I said, "No, Kath, where's the man? He was right here, you know." And uh, so goodness knows what she thought of me, you know. But uh, it left a very big impression on my mind, you know. But I didn't know what was going on yet. The thing was, I'd put my hand up and they'd come and get me, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and anyway, and uh, so um, the learning went on, you know, of, of still learning the hieroglyphs and so on and what I was doing. So what I'd done was I so we'll put Didi away. His name was Didi, by the way. So we'll just put Didi away for a minute. So with the hieroglyphs, I didn't realise I'd made a mistake in the way that uh, I, I'd got fastened onto those ideograms mm. and now I'm searching for those, you know. So to find just one more and its meaning... I had to read entire encyclopedias. So I'm haunting Eleonora Library and Burley Library down there on the Gold Coast because mm. the internet was no good to me. I, I was really struggling there and mm. that learning curve and that stupid computer, you know, that yeah. was just too slow, you know. Yeah. <coughs> I better have water, eh? Yeah, yeah, have a drink. And, um, but uh, the thing was this hard search, my general knowledge was growing the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, because uh, you're obviously synthesising data, you're taking in articles... You're learning different bits and pieces. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it was so much. and uh, But still, I was up for it. You know? I could actually feel that I had room in my head for that. You know? mm. Mm. And uh, so um, so here I am, you know, still learning more and more and more and more. And then uh, one day I was um, at the doctor's and I wasn't there by choice. My calf had nagged me. So as much as the kids were con you know, convinced I was going to get Alzheimer's one day, she's convinced I'm going to get bowel cancer or something. Right, you know? right. And uh, at 55, I hadn't been to the doctor for years. You know? mm. And she nagged and nagged and nagged that I had to go to the doctor and get a checkup. You're supposed to when you're 55. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's supposed to when you're 40. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so uh, she booked the appointment, you know, and I went. And here I am now sitting in a doctor's surgery and uh, and everybody's much older than me and it was God's waiting room, you know, it really was. <laughs> and uh, so I'm trying not to make eye contact with any of these people. 
And uh, on the coffee table was um, magazines open. So I'm pretending to read from a distance, you know, like Superman. I can see across a room, you know, but pretending to, to, to read the, just anything so I didn't have to make eye contact. But then I noticed on one page it was open, there was these texts or some glyphs. It was actually Bambara. This is my first time I've ever seen it. Right. And uh, But it was only one picture of one sentence. And uh, it turned out it was that Stephen Strongfellow. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, I've had him on and, the podcast. Uh, right, yeah. And uh, and uh, he was talking about it uh, as being a uh, to do with ancient aliens, you know. Yeah. And uh, and there was a spaceship, you know. Yeah. And uh, but the thing was that uh, I, I looked at, it, and as I looked at it, I could read it. And this is really the first time now I've been able to read something because mm. you know I've been trying to apply what I've been learning, but it wasn't making any sense. Mm. And this was just uh, four or five uh, individual symbols. And and I looked and I went, oh goodness me, yeah. And and I went and I picked it up. I had a Google Earth reference alongside it mm. of where it was on the planet. Well, astronomy is a hobby of mine. I've had that hobby for decades. Yeah, right. And uh, so, you know, when a, a, a Google Earth measure comes up, it's pretty obvious to me somewhere where that is. Mm. But I recognised it instantly as the east coast of Australia. Mm. And I thought, what? Yeah, this is that's doable, you know. Mm. If it would have been Peru or something, you know. But I thought, that's, that's actually doable, you know. And um, but I didn't uh, I didn't take in the story you know of what the, the other fellow had said you know like you know uh, thank goodness and uh, but anyway I uh, I wanted to get to that place you know and uh, so still the learning continued as I p- made preparations that I'm going to go to this place I had to convince my wife that I could go to this place and I I hadn't left home in you know all these you know, near forty years you know mm. by that was thirty five years being married then I'd never left home once you know. And I'm going to convince her, you know, that I'm going to head off down to Sydney on my own on uh, what seemed like a, uh, a ridiculous thing to do. A fool's errand. But nonetheless, I did it, you know, mm. and uh, this day I set off. And uh, so that whole set of walls, I still hadn't seen that stuff yet, you know. It was just this. And, uh, and what I'm um, hoping to do is to find it. And uh, so I got into the area and I arrived there. It was a, a weekend. So I worked all day. And uh, as I knocked off, I got in the car, just drove, and I arrived there at midnight on Halloween. It was midnight Halloween, <laughs> and as all I've got is a Google reference, Earth reference, you know, and I got nothing else, no directions, which way to go, no nothing. And uh, so I parked the car, and my idea was I was going to do a, a circle, uh, and I, uh, getting smaller and smaller yep. and smaller and smaller circle yep. until I got to that spot, you know. Mm. But I didn't know what I was up against. That is rough terrain, you know. Yeah. And to never have seen it before, not have any idea where you are, mm. and it's in the middle of the night, mm. I had my work cut out for me. But I've always been an adventurer, you know. Mm. And um, this wasn't my first time, you know. And uh, so anyway, uh, setting in off into the forest with a rucksack, rope, torches on my hat, on both wrists and on the, my belt. And, uh, and uh, I'm about to leap in there. But you wouldn't believe it, out of the blue, a lady turns up and we get to talking, you know. And uh, anyway, in, uh, I showed her the, uh, the picture I had, the only one picture. Because she couldn't believe I'm about to do this, by the way, and I set off into the forest, you know, yeah. on Halloween in the mm. middle of the night. And uh, anyway, and I, I showed her the picture and she went, oh, my God. She said, my father found that years ago when I was a little girl and he brought me back all through our life, you know, and uh, we could never ever find it again. She said, would you mind, can I come with you? I said, what? Come with me in there, you know? And I shined the torch. The first thing that landed on was this massive spider, you know? 
and that didn't scare her, you know. She said, I'm not frightened. I said, oh, cause you butt, you know. And, uh, and, she, uh, and I said, you've got no shoes on. And, um, and she looked at me and said, I'm homeless. Well, what do you say about that? You know, it melt mm. my heart, you know. Mm. So I gave her my shoes. And uh, he just got them that day. <laughs> <laughs> gave her my shoes. And uh, put the uh, first aid kit in a little bag for her and, and the water, you know. And off we go now together. So suddenly I've got a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, uh, we searched. Well, not searched. We were once again in that circle. But through the night I'd lost the compass. And um, and middle dead bush, you know, no compass. Didn't know which way was left, right, backwards or forwards. But, of course, I had my crystal. So the crystal that I use when I'm navigating at sea. Mm. And uh, and there's nothing magic about it. You know? It's just in that way that a crystal slows down light. Mm. So looking through the crystal, um, I could pick on a light source somewhere in the distance. So what I Google Earth was where the motorway was and the big orange lights there, the, uh, the motorway. And, uh, and I was able to pick that up in the crystal between the trees or mm. just above the trees. And uh, that gave me a, some point of a reference, bearing. you know, yep. so at least one bearing. Yeah. So from that, I was able to continue the journey. I, I gather we walked around 17 kilometres that night through the middle of the night, over cliffs and down cliffs, through creeks, the thickest and thickest of bush, you know, spiders every every metre, you know, there'd be a spider. And the other tool I had, by the way, was an industrial blower, a cordless blower. Uh, so along the way, I'm able to blow the spiders out of the way, mm. but also I'm able to look at the ground mm. and uh, without disturbing the ground. As all I was doing is blowing the leaves aside, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a great, great tool, you know. Every archaeologist had owned a blower, you know. Mm. And um, anyway, so I really looked aside, you know. I looked like Ghostbusters, you can yeah. imagine, with a rucksack <laughs> and, uh, you know, this industrial blower. It's a little crazy. It. It's a little bit of a crazy story. Crazy stuff, you know. <laughs> Absolutely crazy, you know. And um, anyway, but come the dawn, and uh, I had in my mind that at dawn we were going to find this thing, you know. I don't know what it was about dawn, I was thinking, Egyptians and sunrise, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, but dawn came and went and we never found it, you know. And it was about 20 minutes later, and I was sort of losing patience a bit. The, the young lady was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't tell all her story um, alive because she has children. <laughs> no, that's fair enough, mate. That's fair and, enough. Uh, but believe me, she was difficult, and she, and she'd laugh. I hope she'd laugh, and because today we're, we're old friends now. Yeah. And uh, but it was a certainly a difficult journey, you know. And I remember looking up and saying, "You're testing me, aren't you? You know, like putting me in this position, you know." Mm. Anyway, but a strange thing happened. You know, about twenty minutes after dawn, and, and I, I wasn't ever going to show it that I was losing patience, but I, I really was a bit, you know. And uh, and I was feeling like now I'd wasted the opportunity. I come all that way. I've never found this thing, and mm. and uh, you know, and it was all for nothing. And suddenly, uh, she says to me, she goes, "What's that?" Oh, what? And I've looked into the bush, and there was this round object glowing. So the color of Ayers Rock, that beautiful sunburn, okay, you know, yeah, that, that ochre color, mm. you know, appeared in the bush you know, alongside us. Amongst all the dirty browns and greys and deep greens of the bush, there's this this glowing rock, you know. And I, I said, oh, I don't know, let's have a look, you know. And so we made our way back into the scrub and we got back to the thing and, uh, and, and it just disappeared before my eyes. And what it was was the sunlight coming in over the horizon had already hit the bay, bounced off the bay through the scrub for miles and just happened to hit this rock and mm. lit it up. So anyway, I climbed the rock because now we were there 
and I ended up falling off the other side of it and I fell between the walls. <laughs> and this is me arriving at Bambara, you know. <laughs> and um, and uh, so yeah, hit the ground hard. And uh, they, uh, by the way, I've got an iPod now. I yeah. missed it out of the story. Yeah. The kids had seen the, the, the stress I was under. You know, Father's Day had come and, and they and got you an gone. iPad. They bought me an iPad, yeah. yeah. And uh, so the iPad, which I had in the rucksack behind me, I quickly pulled out to make sure it wasn't damaged. And when you switch these things on, and uh, you see the screen, you know, and uh, like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, you can't miss it. And uh, anyway, so I switched it on. <coughs> and uh, But it came on on pictures or camera, you know. And uh, probably I was, I was using camera moments before or whatever. But anyway, camera came up. So I'm looking through the, that screen and camera's on. And as I pointed it at the wall, I've gone... <gasps> Oh my God! And there, in the view screen, of course, is what we see today. You yeah. know, the the, the the you know the hundreds and hundreds of text. You know, mm. but I pressed the button. I took the photo, and when I took the the, the iPod down, I looked around and I realised, oh my God, we're here, we're here. It was that same place where that fellow had brought me. Mm. So that thing on the wall, he's saying, "Take it, take it." That very one turned out to be his name. So his name was Didi, mm. and uh, so. As uh, we learned more about him and uh, and I was able to identify what the texts are at Bambara, mm. he shows up in Egypt and he's mentioned there. So he's mentioned there as Didi from Dijed Snefru and that's what they called this place. And um, and that's what it said on the wall, mm. Didi or Dijed Snefru. That's what he was pointing at that whole mm. time. Take it, take it. So for me now, this is really weird because all of a sudden here I am you know, in a place that I was taken to in a visitation. Mm. Now I'm not. I'm as psychic as a house brick. <laughs> I really am. Yeah, right. and yeah. I've never been. You know, like interested in that type of woo woo. You know, yeah, like, spirituality. You know, that sort so of stuff. Yeah. I'm really struggling with this. You know, like here I am. You know, but it was enough for me to call out and I said, "Okay, I get it. You got me here." Mm. Yeah, you know, I said, "I don't know what you're doing. What? Why you? Why me? You mm. know, like, why me? You know, I don't know what you're doing." I said, but if you want to come out, yeah, you well, know, nobody came. You know. no. It wasn't about that. It was get me there, you know. Mm. And uh, so I knew now, yeah, you know, that it was obviously a big, it was a very important reason for this, you know, mm. for me to, to end up there, you know. So I was going to look at this very seriously. And keep in mind, I'd only looked at or thought I was looking for a sentence. And now here I am confronted with Hundreds of them. 500 texts, you know. Mm. And many of them I could recognise. You know, that study in ideogram had earned me some, some, uh, you know, some value there. Mm. And uh, but anyway, uh, as I'm looking, uh, what it was 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 really easy identifiable. Was the names on the walls? They exist within a cartouche. Yeah. So a cartouche is a royal rope which is drawn yep. and it gives it royal protection. You know, and there was a number of names on the walls, and uh, instantly I recognised them. It was the names Khufu, Snefru. Dijed Thor, um, or Didi was there, of course. But what it was was that all these names, I knew these names very well because one papyrus I was using to learn hieroglyph text mm. called the Westcar Papyrus, mm. uh, it's a papyrus that holds several stories within it. Mm. Each of these names on the walls appear within the Westcar Papyrus. It was the same names. Okay. And there was none missing off the wall that aren't in the West Car and vice versa. And I realised, well, hang on a minute, you know, there's something in this. You know, mm. these things are connected. And um, and uh, that was enough for me to give me the permissions for myself now to yeah. want to look further. Sure. 
and 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 that's one of the things I thought about it when I was, when I seen what we were looking at here. You know, I thought, well, I better come up with a good reason if I'm going to carry on and want to study this thing because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to waste my time. Um, as we were talking before, and I was saying that this was an important part in my life. Yeah, our kids were grown, and it was time for Kath and I now, and there was no room for anything else. You know? Yeah, and suddenly here's this thing. You know, so it's going to have to be very real for me to give to myself permission. Time. You know, yeah. and. Uh, so uh, I had it in the way that I could recognise that these names were the same names exactly in the West Car Papyrus. So what's famous about the West Car is it's the last telling of Khufu that there is. And it tells it the tale of uh, she meets a man called Didi the Magician mm-hmm. and or Didi the Magi. And uh, she uh, and what it is is that uh, one of her family, Dijedthor, in a conversation with Khufu trying to uh, entertain her, you know, says, look, I, I, I can tell you a story of the greatest magician in the world and he's still alive today. Now, on hearing the story, Khufu says, well, go get the guy. Bring him here. And this is the ruler, so you can't say no to the ruler, especially mm. Khufu. There was a, a, an actual law. You couldn't say no to Khufu. Yeah, right. And uh, so poor Dijedfor, he's going, oh, my God, you know, I've got to go get Didi. You know, like, that's on the other side of the world. Mm. But apparently he did. Uh, as the West Car tells the story, he came then to the land of Dijedsneferu and uh, and talked to Didi and said, look, you know, uh, the 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 ruler, you know, has invited you back there, and um, and uh, she promises to build a memorial there for your ancestors, and uh, uh, as a reward, and this is a very important thing. We went looking for this thing, of course, and found it there, you know, in Egypt, mm. you know, because they they wouldn't make a promise and not complete not it, it, you know. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> anyway, and uh, so Didi has left Australia gone over there and it tells in the west car that then uh khufu had said to didi you know the numbers of the chambers of thoth don't you and he said well yes i do he said i don't know the numbers however i do know where they're kept and they're kept within a box of flint uh there where he comes from you know well the box of flint turned out to be lion island because it's that's the makeup of uh, the geology of the Sydney Basin area, right? And uh, and the island is flint, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, but uh, so in the West Car it tells that they get on the boat and they leave Egypt, and that's where the West Car stops. So it just suddenly cuts off mid sentence. So the West Car papyrus has been famous for that it's the most uh, sought after um, deal to find the missing end of the West Carp of Juarez, you know, assuming it just fell off or something, was lost in antiquity. Mm. And, uh, you know, so to find the other end, the missing conclusion of the West Car. And the other thing about the West Car is those several stories in it, although mm. it's known to be an artifact from those days, the thing is that they don't know that the stories were about fiction or were they about truth. Mm. So the, the goal of literature, literature has been to, uh, find some fact to the west car mm-hmm. and another goal has been to find the other end of the missing uh, conclusion to the west car mm. so what i realized standing there even though i couldn't read all the text as yet that was going to take some time do you recognize enough symbols it was the other end of the west car papyrus where the west car cuts off and bambara it goes back into the west car starts again and finishes the story it was the other end of the west car papyrus uh, and uh, and I knew then I've got something, you know. Yeah. And and to really prove it to myself, you know, uh, to make it, uh, you couldn't doubt it, you know, so irrefutable was this. 
that on the walls there's a, a, a royal lineage, so it's a, three rulers' names on the wall. So you see this a lot in Egypt, you know. Mm. And uh, what it was, it gave the name Snefru, who was the ruler before Khufu, and then it gives Khufu, but the next one was the word Ratosis. Have you ever heard of Ratosis? No. Nobody has, you know. I had, by, by sheer chance, in that uh, trying to learn hieroglyphs, <coughs> reading those encyclopedias, encyclopedias, you know, my general knowledge growing, mm. I chanced upon Ratosis. So who Ratosis was, was uh, the king after Khufu, his name was Dejedfri. But like me, I'm Colin James Andrew Hater. Mm. They were the same. They had many names. Mm. Khufu was Khufu, Meritites, Henetsen, Meju. And uh, so Dejedfri, the ruler after Khufu, one of his other names was the name Ratosis. So it was his priestly name. Mm. Uh, as in, um, say, Andrew is my priestly name in the way when I was a kid and I was confirmed through the Catholic religion, you know, at age 10 you go for a confirmation mm. and they give you a name of a saint, you know. So that was, Andrew was mine. For him, Ratosis was his. So what they'd done there, when they made this royal trilogy on the walls at Bambara, Dejedfri wasn't king yet. Khufu had only just died, and a ruler rules after death for 72 days. It's not until they're placed into their eternal resting place, now the next ruler takes on. Mm. So when they made this trilogy, they very clever and accurately, instead of giving Dejedfri his king name, his throne name, mm. they used his spiritual name because it would have been wrong protocol. He wasn't a king yet, so they couldn't write that. So that, is that gives you an accurate time stamp then, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. So where, Within where does, days. Where yeah. does it date back to? It dates back to the year 2566 BC, in the year June, and um, that year. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so 4,587 years ago now. Yeah. Uh, long time. No, mm. It's a very long time. And, uh, and uh, so what happened was... Uh, well, that 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 was the light, you know, coming on. So that's that stage. I was fifty-five when that happened to me. I'm sixty-two now. Yeah. And um, it was an interesting thing, you know, as learning grew, and I got to know Dijedthor really well. The one that's named on the wall there that came there with Didi. He was the the one that came and got him, took him back to Egypt. Mm. The brother of Dijedfri mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, so Dijedthor. Uh, so when, as I got to know him, you know, uh, he turned out to be the most prolific and the earliest published writer on earth. Um, he wrote many books. He wrote things called uh, the, An Ode to My Son uh, by DJ Four, which was advices to his son. When he left Egypt to come to Australia, he didn't think he was going to survive it. Mm. So he wrote a series of informations to help his boy get through life without him being there. So it became published as the Ode of uh, Dejedfor, or the Ode to My Son by Dejedfor. Uh, he wrote another one called Your Embalmer is Your Best Friend. And uh, so, and he was an embalmer. And he knew his stuff because he's the guy that's buried Khufu here in Australia. And, uh, and she died a terrible death. And the things it took uh, to save her soul, uh, uh, further in the story as we talk more, mm. but 
this guy was the best of the best of the best. She was so lucky to have him there that day. So when he wrote that, the, you know, your Obama is your best friend, he was writing it from very good experience. Mm. So once again, DJ Fall uh, is uh, the earliest and most prolific writer out from antiquity. So when he wrote of these days today, and he did, he wrote about these very days, he wrote about the day that guy would turn up there at Bambara. He called him the one who will read from stone mm -hmm. and it turns up far, far into our future. When he talked of it, he said this. He said, make sure that that man is five score plus one half again, no less, 55. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. And, uh, but I didn't know that at the time. This is later as learning's growing and I'm learning more of DJ Ford and how he thought and wrote, you know, and I'm reading that, you know. Mm. And... Um, so there's something about that 55, you know, mm. and um, so uh, yeah, never think you're you're over the hill or something like that. If you no. you, know, you get towards 50 and think I've missed out on life, because I was, yeah, you know? I was thinking that we did a great job raising the kids and everything, but mm. I thought I'm sure I was sure I was destined for a greater thing than this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At 50, uh, I've missed my opportunity, you know. Yeah. But apparently not, you know. Like uh, apparently, according to DJ Four, 55 is the you know, that, that age when you can grasp whatever it's going to take, you know, yeah. as it did. Um, so um, so that's how it came about you know, and how I fell into the the Bambara incident. Mm. You know? And we call it the Bambara incident because it's a big, it's a big incident. It wasn't just a single discovery. No. What happened there that day, um, first we, we got to learn that about it was the other end of the west car that was the first thing you know but as the learning went on uh what we learned there was able to shine light on a, a very great many major discoveries that were going to pale the bambara a hundred times over mm. and um so uh, today when we talk about what happened on the 11th of the 11th in 2014 at 11 o'clock, yeah. by the way, you know, funny how that goes, you know, uh, the Bambara incident took place and Colonnade <laughs> fell between the walls, you know, mm. and, um, and there we were, you know. And uh, so, um, yeah, you know, ask me a question, give me a break. And here we, yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough, mate. Look, that, <laughs> you, you've barely taken a breath, mate. Have a drink. yeah. yeah. Look, there, there, there's so much information there to take in. There is. Uh, I suppose only because of the, you know, the rabbit hole I've been down recently. What? Uh, it's probably a pretty big question to pull your string again. However, what is what do the glyphs tell us? What is that story? Uh, they tell a story of a great sharing that happened there, and what it was was um, Khufu was coming here as he tells in the West Car Papyrus, because they wanted to. To uh, to copy the measurements of the house of, of Thoth, the numbers of Thoth, mm. the house of God to them, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she wanted to do that, but what happened, as it tells on the walls, was um, that there was a terrible accident. There was a massive storm, and th there was two ships, and mm. both ships turned upside down. Khufu mm -hmm. was killed. But uh, so what we see there is. Just 200 metres further up is the tomb for Khufu. Mm. Under her name, Henetsen. Khufu Henetsen Medju um, Meritites is her name. And they use the name Henetsen there. But to, to understand uh, what happened there between the walls takes understanding Khufu. So about Khufu, it goes like this. Most people thought Khufu was a bloke. 
Yeah, I would, I'd, yeah, I've been many. I'd, I'm just, I'm loving letting you tell your story. But every time you say she and Khufu, it, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Uh, the the real thing is, there's no evidence Khufu was ever a bloke. There exists none. There's not one piece of evidence anywhere. Okay. So how we come to that as uh, a, a part conclusion at the moment comes mm. from uh, Petrie. So Petrie was one of the early granddaddies of Egyptology mm. uh, that toiled away there in the yes. 1900s. Yeah, Petrie. So. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So Petrie found a six-inch statue that they call uh, the statue of Khufu. Mm. And the thing was that he found half a statue. And... Uh, and uh, so he put a price on f- for anybody to find the other half. A week later, somebody went, oh, I've got half. And, uh, and there was a second half. And, uh, but the thing is that uh, Petrie then placed it together, glued it together himself in mm. his own premises. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, um, and, yeah, and, and professed it to be, you know, as Khufu. The thing is, it doesn't have Khufu's name on it. It doesn't say Khufu on it at all. It has a part of the name Meju on it, the mm. Khufu spiritual name. Mm. But other people had that name as well. It wasn't directly, it wasn't a throne name. Yeah, Meju's a, a common. Common, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a priestly name. Mm. And uh, Yeah, it, that's where I know it from the priest stuff, yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, what happened was uh, somehow, you know, uh, through the great influence that the British had at the time, you know, attest anything to anything, you know, uh, their testing went through breaking all the records so where that half a statue was found and then later the other half was in a place uh, where it had nothing to do with fourth dynasty mm. so if you find an artifact you know and uh, and you wanted to test it it's got to meet a number of principles you know it's got to be found in an area that's to do with that particular dynasty mm. um other than that it uh, it's got to have clear Text, you know, to be able to understand, you can't just make it up, you know. Yeah, or different, different, different style hieroglyphs from different dynasties, etc. Yeah. Different understandings, got to so. be in one piece, yeah. And uh, but so uh, with the Khufu statue, all the rules were broken, you know, it was renovated back together mm. out from Department of Antiquity eyes. They should have done that instead, it was done in a tent by Petrie, and uh, so it could have been two halves of anything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he's put it together, you know. And um, so anyway, that, 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 you know, that 16th statue is the only evidence of Khufu being a man and everybody just went along. And uh, so what we notice at Bambara is it tells you know, more than once on the walls, Khufu girl. Every time it says Khufu, it says girl. Okay. And that was one of the first things I noticed. And what I did with that was when I first noticed that, that was new to me too, you mm. know. And uh, even studying the West Carpa Papyrus, I thought Khufu was a man. I never knew that Khufu was a girl. This is the first time I'm seeing it. And uh, so anyway, uh, when I made the video between the walls that first day, it was made in an emergency. That place was about to be bulldozed over. There was only days to go. And while I'm talking in that video, there's people knocking pegs and things in the ground not too far off and a bulldozer in the car park working his way down the track. Mm. So it was only days to go and it was all over. And uh, so in the video uh, on the 11th, the 11th, when I announced Bambara to the world, I, I did something very clever. I'm so glad I did it. Uh, even though I knew it said Khufu was a girl and there was a number of other things there, you couldn't reference them at the time. And I didn't have the knowledge uh, either to be able to demonstrate them, you know. Mm. So I deliberately dumbed it down. If you, if if a person listening to me 
couldn't, with their telephone, reference everything I said, I wasn't going to say it. Mm. And now I've said that. If you ever watch that video, you'll see me talking and I'll suddenly hesitate and I'm like trying to stop myself because that bit can't be referenced so easily like that. You yeah, know? Yeah. So I was narrowing down the size of the arena to have to defend from mm-hmm. and uh, until I learned the knowledge to be able to take things further. Because at that point you didn't have the the mm. the complete understanding. I didn't have much at all, really. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah I didn't have much. But I knew it was uh, certainly connected to the West Car. I was able to demonstrate that very easily, you know. Only because of the references you'd already seen and what mm. you were studying to, to learn the language. Yep, and yep. it's there. I could point to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so stuff like Khufu being a girl, never, I never mentioned it, just left, left it clean out and I went along with talking as if just she was a man, you know. Mm. And uh, But uh, but what, like, yeah, as, as we look to Egypt now and we read everything we can there on the walls about Khufu, mm. there too it tells every single time Khufu girl, Khufu girl, after her name all the way through. Mm. It never says she was a man. Uh, it was just Petrie made that wrong conclusion and everybody went along with it. And uh, so the important so thing... So much of our ancient history is some bloke saying, hey, this is it. Well, mate, I could kick their asses, I tell you. Um, I really could, you know. But the thing is, it doesn't win you any points uh, pointing to the granddaddies of Egyptology and suggesting mm. they made mistakes. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't the, win the, you the, anything. The narrative, the narrative is <coughs> too ingrained there. Yeah. yeah, but I'll go further than that and say I'd kick Petey's ass if he turned up in front of me now. <laughs> um, I would. What happened was this, you know, uh, Petrie, what, greatly he was sponsored by the Vatican. Yeah. and uh, Surprise, surprise. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what it was, was the Vatican, uh, they probably would like to have another go today, you know, a lot of religions do this. They try to create a place deeper in antiquity for their religion yes. to give it a more ancient credibility. They also, they also tend to build their modern temples on top of ancient temples. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, there in Egypt, they were looking for Moses, you know. And uh, greatly, they seen it that Tutmosis Fourth was their Moses. And he's going to be the guy, you know. And uh, so Petrie, uh, he being sponsored by the Vatican, uh, he was responsible to them, you know, to, uh, to stick to this um, uh, Catholic line, as it were, you know, mm. and, uh, and find Moses. And uh, so what they did was, you know, with Tutmosis being, um, you know, their, their head man for that, you know, um, uh, there in Giza exists a um, uh, called King Menkori, Dijedfor. So Dijedfor, who did the glyphs down there at Bambara, his full name once again is Dijedfor um, Tamphus Menkori uh, Baka. That's his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so as a Tamthus, uh, the spelling of that looks an awful lot like Tutmosis. It's not exactly the same, but pretty close. It's about 7 out of 10 for closeness, you know, but certainly okay. not 10 out of 10. Yeah. So what they did, all of the works of Tamthus, King Menkori in 4th Dynasty, building Giza there, the Sphinx and all those things, you know, they attested to Tutmosis Fourth. All of it, and Tampus disappeared out of history, and uh, and uh, nobody knows of Tampus is the three great pyramids: the Khufu, the Khafre, the Menkori. Menkori, that's him. His name is Dijedfor Tampus Menkori, mm-hmm. and they they wiped him out. They took him out of history and put Tutmosis there instead. 
So on the Sphinx uh, Stella, the Dream Stella in yep. front of the Sphinx, yep. there it says directly on it, Menkori Tamthus, and somehow they changed that, you know, mm. and uh, and made that into Tutmosis instead, a ruler that wouldn't live for another 1,200 years yet, you know. Yeah, right. And uh, so in this way, they ripped us off, you know, and uh, and to assume Khufu a, a bloke, you know, like that. And um, and uh, so they uh, they made some very, very big mistakes. So uh, <clears throat> Champollion, the Rosetta Stone, mm-hmm. you know, it was him, of course, that translated the Dream Stella. He translated the Dream Stella years before they found the Rosetta Stone. So if they learned Egyptian hieroglyphs from the Rosetta, how the heck did he translate the Dream Stella in the first place? And uh, that's a good point. He, yeah, with what? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so you know, again, towing the line of the Vatican, the mm-hmm. French were the same. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they attested everything to Tutmosis and completely wiped out Tampus. And uh, terrible, terrible tragedy. You know, so Champollion line him up with Petrie or kick his ass too. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm really annoyed by it. I really am because it's it's cultural theft. You yeah, know? you know what the theft to Egypt to the children of Egypt. You know mm. that was their passed down stories, and mm. these guys changed them for the sake of an agenda that didn't work. Because by the way, not all Egyptologists agreed with this. You know, yeah, right. And uh, so there was a lot of friction on the Giza plateau between the Russians, the Germans, the French, and the British, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, those not towing the Vatican line, they're saying, "Hey, you can't say that. You can't attest that. You know no. that that's not right." So a, a a fight of tit for tat broke out. Yeah. And uh, so Mediette, uh, who had um, found the uh, inventory stella in the um, uh, Temple of Isis there in the in Giza, yeah. right underneath the the foot of the Great Pyramid. So the inventory Stella tells about Lion Island, about Bambara, all that stuff, as clear as day. If you know the story of Bambara, then you read the inventory Stella, you go, oh, yeah, I get it. But, of course, not knowing Bambara and looking at the inventory Stella, you don't know what the heck it's talking about. You know? yeah. But anyway, so it's, a, it's an artifact from Fourth Dynasty. Mm. Uh, again, it was De Ford that wrote the thing, you know. But in this tit-for-tat arguing when they said, you're a fraud to, to you know, the, about the... Well, not about the Rosetta, but to Champollion and, mm. and to Petrie, you know, like use, use of frauds. Then they pointed to Mariette's finders of the inventory stone and said, no, you're a fraud, that's a fraud. And today, you know, like 100 plus years it's later. It's still known as a fraud. It's still known as a fraud, yeah. yeah isn't you know, that interesting? Yeah, yeah. And of course it wasn't, you know. <clears throat> it was a, an actual you know, artifact found in place, undisturbed, you know. So yeah. you can't say it wasn't, you know, it wasn't somebody put it there, you know. And, uh, but uh, so, as I say, yeah, not all Egyptologists went along with uh, with this ideal, you know. But it, it, yeah. the the British was law back then, basically. They had big guns, mm. the biggest, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and their fleet and, was and, sitting in the harbour. And they created. Then they've created the 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 story of history that is still taught in our schools today. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and this is the. Mm. Yeah, but did they do it deliberately? You know, well, kind of. Um, the thing was though that they didn't know. Because, uh, you know, when Petrie um, wiped out Tamphus, yeah, he didn't know who Tamphus was either. Yeah. He, he was doing that thing of, you know, when you're on an agenda, you you only see what it is that you first set yeah, out to exactly. find, you know. Yeah. And he, he was looking for Tutmosis and, um, and that's what he got, you know. So it, a lot of it wasn't deliberate as such as, as it was that um, they just didn't know, you know. So, yeah. I mean, this all this information is... Awesome, and I actually can't, I, I can't, I can't, 
uh, sitting here at the time, I'm struggling to assimilate it all at once. I'm going to listen back to this one and I'm going <coughs> to have a good think about it and I'm mm. sure I'm going to have a thousand more questions. Yeah. It's You seem to be very confident on the timeline. Yes. Um, so... It's astronomy. At 3142 BC, the, you know, the... Polar stars moving, yeah, is what it is, yeah, yeah. and then recorded, you know, in yeah. India so well. The North Star used to, and I, see, I'm, I've been trying to remember the North Star the whole time. I've been talking. It used to be the Dog Star, wasn't it back then? No, no, I've gone again. <laughs> Polaris, Polaris, that's right. <laughs> I feel like an idiot. I just everyone, right. I feel like you an can idiot. E- you can edit them bits out. No, I don't edit anything. I should have helped you before and said what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so. Gobekli Tepe, right? Have you looked yes. into Gobekli Tepe? Great deal. Yeah. So Gobekli Tepe yeah. is proven to be eleven and a half thousand years old, um, mm, yeah. and that is they're they're aligned to the old North Star as well. Some of the enclosures in there are not surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I from one of the big questions we talk about in this room, just to steer off the topic, because I'm I'm curious to get you sort of went you sort of uh, palmed off the the ability to actually carve these stones. Do you think there was a because obviously that's a that's a massive undertaking. Like so if we if we take your story you've told us tonight, right? And you know you can see uh, Richard has a, a brilliant picture of standing on the Stonehenge site looking at Mount Warning, and it looks like the three pyramids of Giza, mm-hmm. right? And um, to recreate that on that scale. Mm. It's hard for me to imagine chisels doing that, right? It, it, it just because of the absolute precision and the fact, you know, there's guys like Chris Dunn taking modern engineering equipment and like the precision it would be hard to achieve today with modern equipment, right? Do you think that there was, is history that misconstrued that we don't? Understand that those people back then, or did, yeah. or, did, or did or did the Egyptians have a level of technology we don't understand when this story was created? Well, we can only look to India and see what they use, mm. and uh, and there's definitely hand tools that they use. You know, they're not using anything. Uh, you know, they're not using lasers or anything. Uh, you know, highly technical. Yeah, and uh, and they create things like that, and yeah. So, well, what it is, is people tend to doubt humans. <laughs> yes, I don't know why they do that. You know? Oh but, yeah, like everything's you know, aliens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I yeah, definitely believe it's us. I'm yeah. not, I'm not concerned. Yeah, they just doubt you know, humans all the time. You know, uh, yeah. To say like, you know, we couldn't build Giza today. Well, of course we can. You know, we can build anything today. Mm. You know, uh, but still, you know, we say things like that. You know, and really mean it. You know, like, yeah. you know? and uh, we just doubt humans so much. You know, it's a. Uh, it's sad that we do, and I guess you know now that we can find very clear indicators telling us a lot more about our ancestors. You know, yeah. Hopefully, it'll you know, help overcome that, you know, and uh, maybe we'll give us a little bit more faith in ourselves. Yeah. Well, I um, think you know I've been like I don't um, I've never begrudged anyone of their religion, Con. However, no. I learned within myself many years ago in my early twenties that. It's faith in yourself that you must have. Mm, you must. Yeah. That's where the that's where the power is. It's, Be- that's where it begins. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. 
but have faith in those ancestors too, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, and uh, they're stronger than you and I, you know, all working together. You know? Have faith in those. So talking about biblical, you know, um, earlier when we were talking about uh, the initiation at, there at Lion Island, yeah. Muddy, you know, the Virgin Mother, the mm. three wise men coming over the horizon. So, of course, we know that story from the Bible, don't we? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so it makes you wonder then what other stories, passed down stories from deep time, also appear in the Bible. Well, look, I, I you know, my interpretation of a lot of... I haven't read the Bible in a long time. I, I, I chewed my way through it in my early 20s because yep. I thought I had to, you know, yep. just to be able to sort of read the text. Yeah. It's quite interesting now, though, like, and uh, a friend of mine echoes this, that, I pick the Bible up now and it's gobbledygook. Yep. But I remember reading it and understanding it right. at the time. But if I pick it up now, it doesn't seem, it didn't flow as it did once then. And I suppose maybe the words have already sunk in or whatever it is. Mm. However, I do think what I've been <laughs> learning in this room, whether it be by myself conducting research or talking with you know guests like yourself, it's like they would telling us a story that echoes through time and it may not be myth it may be truth wrapped in story mm. but unfortunately with the bibles all of them from yeah. the quran to the uh, torah for the jew yeah. the, the bible for um yeah, the, the christian yeah the only evidence of anything in them is what's written in them that's no, right. never actually been any evidence well that's about to change it really is um being able to reconnect Australian past down stories into those stories of the Bible mm. opens up the whole new thing, you know. So what happened with the Bible, it was very much like why the Bambara text could never be understood. Mm. So I'll go back to Bambara for that. Mm. Why it couldn't be understood was it's written in what's called Proto-Egypt Ideogram. Yeah. So every symbol isn't a letter, it's a meaning behind the 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 depiction between behind the image mm. and uh, an ideogram and uh, so ideograms were thought to be used as just casual incursions into otherwise alphabetical sentences yeah it, what wasn't known was that ideograms could be used to write entire sentences phrases in fact entire stories and that's why ideogram until 2014 still couldn't be read mm. Was it was just assumed? I don't know why somebody assumed that, but somebody did, and we all just followed along. You mm. know, so ideograms were known, and they fit into our sign list. So actually, there, if you get a book of sign lists, hiero sign list, you'll see the alphabetical, the phono, like how we believe it sounded, mm. and then you'll see the ideogram alongside. Mm. And uh, so at Bambara, what we did there was it wasn't like we had to recreate a lost language; we just had to use our known sign list more responsibly. Mm. And that opened up everything. So the Bible turns out to be the same in the way that uh, many of the words in the Bible still carry through from uh, its earliest origins as a writing. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's fair to say it was the Hebrew that first wrote those things, you know, the, the way that we see them today into a modern Bible. And the uh, but ancient Hebrew, correct me if I'm wrong, they were ideograms as well, like a, a symbol was a letter and a number yep, at the right. same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But when it's gone into English, things changed. So the word David, for example, the name David, mm -hmm. it's not a name at all. It wasn't originally. Uh, th that, that's the term for beloved uncle. Okay. 
Jonathan, again, wasn't a name in those days. That's interesting. My uncle's name's David. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A beloved uncle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and it's really interesting that it's uncle, you know, mm. in the way that, you know, I'm an uncle upon a sovereign panel, you know, and we have uncles in that way. Mm. He's a beloved uncle. Mm. And uh, so Jonathan um, is, again, wasn't a name. Mm. It's the term, a gift from God. Mm. Bethshema. So Bethshema was the wife of uh, Solomon. Mm. And uh, so it too wasn't a name. You know? the, the Hebrew word Bethshema is a promise made by God or mm. the Creator. It doesn't say God. A promise made by the Creator. So when we look at the Bible now and look at the names and realize they're not actually names. When we look at a term of something that says, uh, um, uh, say, uh, uh, a John was delivered to David, mm. uh, really what that's saying is um, a gift from God was delivered to the beloved uncle. Right. So it's not names. It's not two people, you know. Mm. And uh, so knowing that, you know, uh, researching the Bible, taking all those names aside and then researching the actual Hebrew word of what those names used to mean. And unpacking them in the in, in the ideogram that they actually are. Yep. Yeah. Totally changes things. Yeah. It totally changes it. Don't they mean uh, numbers as well, mate? Is that is that true numbers? as well? Numbers? Yeah. Uh, how do you mean? Uh, Hebrew was a, the letters were also numbers as well. Well, keep in mind the earliest writing was numeric. Yeah, it was uh, the like the picked uh, the dashes in the in the stone. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So the number on the east coast, if I talk this language here, you know, when to say that we're in Queensland now, we're on Yugara lands where we're sitting. Yeah. But if we go back down to Bambara, uh, number one is uh, is is mal m a a l, mm-hmm. which means uh, a beginning, a first, the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so always that first business, you know. Mm-hmm. Two is bulla. Have you been to Fiji? No, I've you know, been to Fiji. Uh, no. If you go to Fiji, when you walk in a room, you know, Fiji and goes, oh, bulla, their way of saying hello. But what it is is breath. So, you know, when you walk in the room and you breathe new life into the room and everybody smiles. Yes. Bulla, you know, breath. So same for Australian um, traditional on the East Coast. Bulla means breath, air, wind. Uh, three is the words yuli uh, angala, which means um, uh, the dark. And uh, or parting the dark, so it can be like a rainy day and the sun comes out. Oh, Julian Gala, and uh, so this is called numeric. So numeric ideogram was um, the written language that uh, Australian custodians used mm-hmm. through all the time. So we see it in pictures and carvings, and we'll see stripes alongside or dots and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and many traditional artists still understood a, a great many of them. So they appear in even modern traditional art. Mm. But the thing was that uh, as, a, as a written language, it had been lost. Mm. And uh, so it was always rumoured that uh, at one point in uh, early colonial times, Chief Boni, B-O-N-I, so he's a Gomeroy chief. Mm. And, uh, and he had seen, so this is um, 1830, I believe. So really early, 1770 was Cook, of course, yeah, 1786, so the first early, convicts. Very you early know. on, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so around that time, you know, the first colonists are arriving, yeah, I was really. Say, you know, that, that's you know, the free men, you know. Yeah. And, uh, there's, but, there's a book uh, around here, 1835, I think it's. Yeah, right, yeah. That, yeah. So Chief Bonai, he'd already realised what was going on, mm. that the teaching was cut off. And already by then, people were dying all around them, you know, mm. and people were being, um, you know, uh, moved off their custodial lands. And uh, so uh, he did something very, very clever. 
Um, what it was was there was a, a woman who was the wife of the first magistrate here in Australia, the first travelling magistrate. Mm. And uh, so she was his secretary, well-educated woman. Uh, and as well as <laughs> at times she was probably the defence or something in court, yeah, because only him and her travelling around. Yeah. But the thing was that uh, she made excellent and easy friends with the women in culture. Uh, all women are sisters, aren't they? Absolutely, you know, like, yeah. And um, more so than the men, you know. Mm. And uh, so she was doing some marvellous things in the way that uh, she was taking um, traditional music and writing it into piano music and so on. And vice versa. She was taking European music and turning it into uh, traditional Australian music. Mm. And uh, so one um, telling of her or <laughs> related to her uh, came from a group of workmen who were returning back from work and they walked past a group of... Uh, uh, traditional guys, indigenous people sitting in a circle singing happy birthday to you in their language. Right. And uh, so yeah, it was such a remarkable thing that it got a mention, you know. Yeah. But this is her, you know, doing that business of mm. you know, swapping mm. them over. So Chief Bonai, anyway, seeing her as a good thing, asked her to do something for him. And uh, so what they did was they translated Murray Gwelder into writing. Mm. And uh, But the thing was, it was lost. Yeah, so it was always a rumour that that had happened, you know, but where did it go, you know? So near 200 years now it had been lost. Mm. So um, we went looking for it. So when I say we, um, I'm not alone in all this, you know. Yeah. Uh, in, in, well, in fact, there's tens of thousands of Australian traditional people behind me. Mm. But greatly is my uh, research assist, uh, Megan Porter. and She's okay. a proud Gomeroy girl, mm -hmm. university trained as a researcher. So she can research for a chemist or a politician, but she dedicated a great deal of her time and still does today to me and this cause okay. to reconnect you know, the stories. And uh, so Megan uh, has uh, easy access through her education you know, into the archives of the universities and so on, but importantly is uh, Canberra um, National Library mm -hmm. and so on. So in the search looking for this Murray Gwelder, you know, this writing that, that had been done by this fabulous woman, uh, we were able to find it, and we found it greatly in the Canberra archives, but other than that, also in local historical societies, there would be little pieces here and there, and we were able to place it back together again. And now we have that again, where we can uh, look at uh, uh, paintings 30, 40,000 years old and see that writing alongside, mm. and now we can read it again. And... Um, and uh, that, that's been one of those major discoveries. I was saying that Pale Bambara in the first place, you know, mm. you know paled it a, a, a hundredfold over since, you know. It'd be interesting to uh, use that to decipher some of the Australian Stonehenge documents or the, the Lightning Place documents. Uh, well, we did. Okay. Those we read years ago. Yeah. I did try to explain that to Richard. I actually set up a, a meeting with Richard um, after talking with him at one of his um, lectures one time. And I was given permissions uh, to to tell Richard of Murray Gwelder and what it was the stones read. Unfortunately, Richard got uh, busy uh, after his event that he'd hosted. You know, there was a lot of people wanted to speak to him, you know, and, mm. and what have you. And he missed the appointment. I waited for three hours and eventually went home. And uh, next time I sat with those elders and they say, how did he take that? Did he learn? I said, no, he didn't show <laughs> And uh, so it was rescinded, and so I never gave him that information. But if he would have just turned up, you know, and uh, what I had for him was all the documents there, and uh, you can have that. But it's important to honour the journey, you know. And mm. uh, 
Yeah, God well, bless may, him. God bless him. Yeah, but maybe yeah. maybe we can uh, get Bree permission because that's that's part <laughs> of the research that we're doing now. I, I'm oh, I'll see. Very yeah. deep in the very deep in that hole. Yeah, yeah. So I support Richard greatly, you know. Mm. And um, but uh, yeah, it's it's important to listen to culture. Mm. Yeah, it's their story. It's not our story. Mm. Yeah, it becomes our story in the way that um, yeah. Um, the, the the ancestors are our shared ancestors, mm. so they're my ancestors too. You know, mm. so it, it does give me permission to, you know, want to seek these people out and learn more of them because they are my family as well. Mm. You know, just because I was born on the other side of the planet doesn't mean that those ancestors here aren't my ancestors. You know, mm. they're our shared ancestors. Mm. And uh, but it's important to uh, as those here, you know, holding the ancient knowledge, you know, to to listen to those and. Uh, I urge all uh, everybody working in antiquities, you know, mm. in paleo studies, that they really need to study culture. Mm. It's a big uh, part of it is anthropology, isn't it? It's it's a big part of that's it. That's right. And unfortunately, anthropologists don't, uh, archaeologists don't, Egyptologists don't. Mm. Uh, uh, nobody does. You know? But when I say you've got to study culture, you can't study Australian Aboriginal culture. You, you've got to become. Well, you can't research it. You've you know? got to be accepted, yeah. Uh, you've got to be a student of it, yeah. you know, a good one, yeah. a good listener, you know. Yeah. And that was my advantage was you know, early in the piece when we released Bambara, its story on the walls, mm. and it went to a great part in saving Bambara, mm. a very great part. Where you know? is it at now, though? Aren't they threatening it again? No, uh, they're threatening the block next door. Okay. Yeah, but that bigger part of Bambara I mentioned, yeah. that's still part of it. It's still know? part of it. Yeah, it's still part of it, yeah. 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 yeah, and um, but uh, but it's it's not um, yeah that particular place there that uh, yeah we focus on for the sake of the glyphs you know. Mm, mm. Um, but for me, uh, yeah, when I released that information, and uh, I was quickly picked up by culture, <coughs> and uh, it wasn't to pat me on the back, yeah, it was to remind me that I wasn't listening. I haven't listened to them yet. Yeah, right. Uh, I was fortunate in the way that I, I'd listened to that that visitor I got, that visitation, when Didi came to my home personally himself, mm. you know, <coughs> that obviously I'd listened, you know, and, and realised that uh, we were there was something divine going on here, you know. Yes. But now it was time for me to learn from culture. Mm. And uh, so seeing that this job, call it a job, you know, that mm. this, this divine journey that mm. uh, I, I'd been set upon, you know, was extremely important. Mm. Um, the calling, co- mate, the calling. Yeah, well, it was. There was no doubt about it. You know? yeah. no, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're sitting. And, uh, you're sitting in my calling, mate. This is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, country and culture came to me pretty quickly. You know? Yeah. And uh, and I got a very good education. You know, I really did. They did a good job on me. Yeah. Um, but greatly, you know, I was taught to uh, read uh, pictogram, so cave painting and, yes. and and carving and so on, which is the oldest form of language on earth. You know, of written language talking out of paints on walls mm-hmm. and um and uh, and uh, of course taught greatly you know of uh, culture story so uh, so i became a uh, a student of culture not a researcher of culture yes. yeah it really took that you know i find and, uh, and it's interesting yes <laughs> that's an interesting term that you use it like that colin because obviously i spent some time i spent a lot of many years over in papua new guinea all right and i you know i spent some time in new zealand and I hadn't thought about it in those terms, to you put it like that. However, I've been readily accepted, and even uh, in Arnhem Land. So uh, I have Indigenous down both sides of my uh, generation, my mother's and my father's side. 
and even the the white side of my father's side, we're fifth generation Australian. Yeah. Um, however, before I knew all that, when I was in Dunboy in Gove in the Northern Territory, we played football. You know, so they have you know six Indigenous teams, one white team, and those six Indigenous teams represent individual tribes. Yes. And instead of going to war with each other, they play footy against each other on the weekend. Yeah. And through me playing football, uh, AFL, I earned their respect. Yeah. And it was for no other reason that I was firm but fair on the football field. Like, I would hit them hard and they would hit me hard, but I would help them up yeah. and they would help me up. Yeah. It was, it was, I earned their respect and through that was invited onto the land that you can't go. Yeah. And we went crabbing and we built a spear and actually talked to a clever man out there it was one Ooh. of the most in, in, interesting experiences of my life. And he, I've told this story in the podcast before, but I'd like to tell you because as a, and I'm only, I'm only a teenager, Colin, I'm 16, yes. right? And my curiosity back then was like, you know, why didn't the indigenous use the wheel? You know, why didn't, you know, you're so old, why didn't you use the wheel? And he was very matter of fact, he said, I can imagine what he said. He said, "Well, he said he said two things. He said, he said to me that we love the land. Mm. We like to be connected to the land. Yeah. And every journey is its its own reward. Basically, mm. is where how he how he sort of described it to mm. me. Learning is in in the journey. Yeah. yeah. And then he said, and as for and this is something that still blows my mind today. And as for sacred places, there is caves around Australia." You walk in one cave because we're in the Northern Territory. He's like, you go to Jabiru, there's a special cave there. You mm. walk in that cave, you come out in the Grampians mm. in Victoria. And he just said it so matter-of-factly. Mm. And, you know, that speaks to, you know, you were talking about interdimensional stuff earlier mm. on mm. tonight and those sorts of things, you know. Yeah. They had the... There was, there was an understanding of whether it be energy, vibration whatever it is in that that we cannot grasp today yeah. that they had you know and it's it's a um have 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 they have <laughs> yeah. well this is a, yeah, yeah yeah and it's um if you are a student of culture that's a very good way to put it because i've been readily accepted into a number of different cultures mm. because i go in humbly yeah. and i just want to listen Listen, yeah. Listen like, is like, a key. Like, like tonight. I haven't yeah. said very much tonight because yeah. I was very keen just yeah. to listen to your story. Yeah. Thank you for your listening. No, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's it's as I say, I need to go back and have another listen yeah. so I can fully listen. Grasp listening it. was my first lesson given. Yeah. It really was. And mm. it was harsh too, you know. Like, mm. I mean it was really forced into me. Mm. Listen, listen. Mm. Shouted at me. Mm. If I hadn't learned um, to appreciate that lesson, mm. there wouldn't have been lesson number two. Because mm. you, know? mm. <laughs> you had to learn to listen first. You know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, and, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, country, the way they um, you know, appreciate you is through y your efforts. Mm. You know, you could talk all day, but it's not about talking. Well, it's, exactly, know, it's you know? exactly like I said, you know, the only mm. way that I earned those boys' mm. respect yeah. was... Your actions. Them, me, them... Well, playing their, mm. I think, playing their sons on the football field yeah. and them being there watching me play yeah. caused me to be invited, mm. you know. And that was, <laughs> you'll love this. I got dropped off at an intersection and basically I was told, 
I could bring my smokes, <laughs> but I couldn't bring a camera. I couldn't bring anything else. Oh, wow. yeah. Right? Yeah. And basically got dropped in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And they come and pick me up and I spent, uh, was it three days, two nights, three days nice. out there with them on country. And I'll never, ever forget that. And, That's good. you know, that is part of the calling that led me here. It's like, okay, yep. there's okay, all these yeah. megalithic societies around the world. What is going on in Australia? Mm. Where did it come from? What What are we actually talking about? You know, we, we look at all these manner of things, mate. Well, listen, but <laughs> I think let's, let's wrap this session up. Sure. I think this is your first podcast. Like we said, I don't think it's your last one. There's plenty more to talk about. Mm. Um, well, how do we, how do we finish? Because if I ask you a question, we'll start again. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the Bambara incident, Colin falling in between the stones, mm. you know. And look, we only just brushed upon the glyphs. I know yeah. you, you palmed us off to exactly what it said. That was well done there. <laughs> I do want a sharing, a, a sharing, a sharing, a sharing. A sharing. In that place, it's a sharing place. Yeah. It was a healing too. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't get to finish telling you about Khufu, did I? I was saying that you got to know Khufu to understand. Yes, why yes, that. yeah. So maybe look, maybe yeah. we leave, maybe we leave the total story of Khufu <laughs> yes. for next time because I think we're a couple of hours in. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your time, mate. Have you got? It's obviously, you've been on an accelerated journey, literally around the planet in yep. seven years. I have. Yeah. Okay. Have you the the knowledge, and we haven't even touched on what you saw in egypt or anything like that you know like there's so many different questions that i have for you yeah um is there a message you could share with the listeners you know to to finish your your first the first installment of the of of, of the story well yeah I'd, I'd like to uh allow us all to know that uh right now we are in a brand new day mm. and um it was well talked of, you know, through the decades of one day, you know, we would all wake up and so on. We are there. Yes. This is it. You know, yes. There's no more waiting for tomorrow. No. This, yeah. this, the, the, and yeah. I've been trying to say this mm. on this podcast that we mm. actually are in prophetic we are times there now. right now. We're there right now. Yeah. Uh, the, the ancients uh, prophesied that, uh, uh, I don't think it was through magic as much as it was, it was through their preparation mm. That they deliberately uh, prepared, leaving the clues around the planet. Yes. For this day to come about, mate. This podcast yeah. is dedica dedicated to trying to read those clues. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. there's a lot of them. I Absolutely. Can tell you. Yeah. They really went right out of their way. Dijed Four, he was, you know, probably the the, the greatest manufacturer of those clues. Mm. Yeah, leaving them all over Egypt, all over the world. Um, mm. So, uh, so we are there, you know. So uh, it's time. To claim that waking up, not wake up, we're already woken up, you know, mm. it's time to claim it now. And uh, as you hear more of um, what's unfolded from Bambara, you know, seek out that information, mm. you know, that that's happened. Mm. The answers are in that. Uh, if I can speak for Thoth, which is Dijed 4 again, you know, it's him at the end of the day, same fella. Uh, he, he said it this way, in the way that the keys are in the images he left upon the walls. If we could understand the symbolism, we would awaken ourselves beyond yep. all measure, yeah. Yeah, and that's the code, is that, you know, is the, the keys are in the images upon the walls. And, Absolutely. And now we can read Im Ideogram again, and now we can read Murray Gwelder, Australian Aboriginal uh, text, you know, again. <coughs> These, this is what he was talking about, you know. Mm. Uh, so uh, truly wonderful things just ahead. Mm. 
absolutely truly wonderful things the the, uh, the mood outside in the world because here in australia we're slow to pick up yes you know? uh, in egypt the mood is electric over this yes. in india the same as well yeah. for india it means for them uh, that uh, yeah, that that yeah, that they're passed on stories that got so complicated that they lost the plot. You know, yeah. was, it just you see in Bollywood. Well, that's what their stories are like. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And um, Bollywood's Pakistan, isn't it? But just you know, they're all very much the same. You know, they exaggerated so much they all lost the plot. So they've got it back. Mm. And uh, so the mood is is just absolutely electric in Egypt and uh, and India. Mm. It's only in Australia. Mm. Where it is for some reason, you know, we prefer to have mysteries. We don't want answers, you know. The, <laughs> some and, of us do, mate. Some of us uh, do. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's an industry exists, you know, for uh, mysteries. It's a very uh, productive and uh, you know, profitable game. Mysteries. Mm. They outsell history books by a hundredfold to one. Yeah, and, right. Uh, so, yeah, let's have more mysteries. You know. Mm. So there's an industry that will even make mysteries up where there aren't any. Yes. Yeah. You know? Mm. So anyway, truly wonderful things ahead. We yep. are there now. Uh, I ask everybody to uh, turn their eyes and ears to the south, just as Egypt and India are, and uh, and listen closely over what's uh, being told now, what's unfolded, you know. Mm. So coming behind me isn't just um, me, <laughs> you know. Yep. I represent you know, the... Um, greatly, you know, for, for the telling of um, the story on the walls of Bambara, I represent Australian traditional peoples greatly. Mm. And um, and behind me, that term of uh, there's 30,000 warriors standing right behind you, well, it's never been more apt than in, in my case and, and uh, in this journey that I'm on. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so look, you know, be open to hearing. Mm. Go looking for it, you know. Mm. Uh, over this last seven years, I used social media as the tool. It was the only tool I had. Mm. But I deliberately placed into those things, into every picture in the in the comment sections, I deliberately placed into there all the informations one would need. I did that for a number of reasons. Uh, it's like a library. Mm-hmm. It's there. You know. But if something would have happened to me in that time, or might yet, all that information is there. Yeah. And um, I deliberately placed it. That was a lesson I got from Dijed for in there, deliberately placing things yes. all over the place. Yeah, well, it all it all goes um, through time. It does. So, uh, so um, you know. Well, I'll, I'll get your Facebook yeah. links and that off you. You know, so we can yeah. put that in there, so yeah. everyone can have a look at it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm easy to find. You know, mm. and I'm a prolific writer. You mm. know, so uh, there's a lot in there. You mm. know, in, the, in this last seven years, and. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you for all those listening, taking yep. this time. Yeah. And I look forward to uh, explaining more. And there's yeah, a lot more. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Look forward to sitting down again soon, mate. Yeah, we, today we just scratched the surface. That's oh, all I, I can understand. Yeah. I know yeah. that. I, I look, yeah. I, as I say, today you filled uh, filled a story in for me yeah. that I'd been trying to piece together. I think that's very important. And from that, I can build more questions. Mm, yeah, yeah. Thanks very much, mate. Really, really appreciate your Thank time. Thank you, buddy. Look forward to sitting down again soon. Good on you, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Well done.
I walk out of the road Have I burned out? Have I blackened the ground? Will I fight back? Find my strength again? Days have been bold But tomorrow losing their shine Will I give up? No 